Chaos Rain. Chaos Rain presents that with special guests, Dr. Black. Broadcast July the 27th, 2021. Enjoy. <laughs>
In a world where there's crime, corruption, violence, murder, rape, theft, and all forms of atrocities that plague the world in which we live in today, what are you witnessing? We are living in a state of chaos. And it'll take a more greater or extreme chaos to restore the order in which the world we live in today. Good evening, black people. This is Chaos right here. And today's special and unique broadcast, we're going to go through two elements that affects, I would say not only black community, but just communities in general. But before I give you the logistics and the details and the title of today's stream, go to talkrealsolutions.com where you see three-point plan of black empowerment, black achievement. Also, you'll see um, the list of black established banks. Um, what else? And, like always, anything, a good goal, if you don't have any employment, is to try to create your own way or start a black-owned business or start your own business. Now, there are much resource out here throughout the Internet, et cetera, that you can find how to get started. I don't want to tell you much. You could do a quick Google search or find certain YouTubers that knows how to do it. Um, I will advise, you know, they will require some feed, but nonetheless, it's always good to pay somebody that will get your feet started in this uncertain time. So, you know, make the conscious effort if you're not really having stable employment. You know, always try to find a decent little hustle or start your own little business. And also, Talk Resolutions on the website, it gives out the latest articles and news, etc. And you can also donate to the show itself. So check check it out for yourself, TalkRealSolutions.com. Also, you can follow Talk Real Solutions on YouTube and on Facebook, especially on Facebook. There is a like page on Facebook. I will say if you want to check out Talk Real Solutions on Facebook, go now, join the group. You'll get invited to a special um, chat room or a private session on Talk Real Solutions. And I tell you, it's very hilarious. A lot of people that's going back and forth in the chat room. Um, I ain't going to give you more secrets than that. You're going to like the page on Facebook to find out. And like I said, this is also a stream on YouTube as well. You can also follow me on Twitter, at ChaosRain7. And you can now add me as a friend or follow me on Facebook, Eric Rain on Facebook. And like always, you can follow me on YouTube as well. My channel goes by the name ChaosRain. As well, pushing. We're trying to push to a certain um, subscriber base, audience, etc. Um, I have some latest new uploads and videos up there now. Check them out now. I've gone through certain little papers and gave my perspective of certain solutions this week. I can't give you the details of that you got to subscribe to the channel and find out for yourself. So I think I laid all the parameters, all the groundwork for y'all to follow. So let us begin the show, and let's tackle this issue at hand, shall we? Um, let me see what's going on. Let me refresh page. Let me see if I can find it. All right, good. Today's subject, Chaos Reign presents Debt and Religion. And I have back my um, my guests, 
my wonderful guest, which did a great job. Me and him did a great job on the last um, conversation, which you can find on Chaos Rain channel. But I bring and present to you back again for the first time Talk World Solutions, Dr. Black. You know, press star 61, Dr. Black, so we can see you. I was opening his mic. One second, guys. All right. As I welcome back again, the one and only. Mr. Paco, a.k.a. Dr. Black. Welcome, Paco. Can you hear me, Paco? Good evening, good evening. Chaos, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Do you hear me loud and clear? Yeah, we could, sound yeah I can hear you loud and clear. You sound great. I, I was listening to the whole introduction. You're playing some of my, my one of my, you're playing my actual favorite artist in the in the introduction, Sizzler oh. Kalunji. That was a great yeah. song, Freedom Cry. I appreciate oh, yes. that. I appreciate that. Great, oh, yes. great, great job. Great job. Uh, great, great, great. So what's good, Paco? I guess we're going to tackle from the last conversation about the student loan debt. And maybe if, yeah. anything, if everything goes well, we will tackle religion just for a little bit. Ooh, so like yeah. I said, we'll see how this night goes. Um, before you go into student loan debt, I, I was just Googling some information. And I got to read you what I just saw and just noticed. Let me see how early this article there are two articles. One deal with Nerd Wallet, and the other one, I think, um, U.S. Student Loan Debt Statistics. So before we go on our subject, let's do a little quick look of what is present right now in student loan, shall we? Please. Since we, ta since we talk about it. first article, Nerd Wallet. So I'm gonna try to go as clear as possible, people, and I will leave these in descriptions on Chaos Rain channel. So be on the lookout for that. It shows here. How many Americans have student loan debt? Now, mind you, this was published May 20th, 2021. About 42.9 million Americans have federal student loan. According to the most recent data from the U.S. Department of Education, that means about 1 in 8 of 12.9% people in the United States carry student loan debt per an analysis of census data. That outstanding student loan debt is $1.59 trillion according to the second quarter of 2021 data from the federal government. Private student loan debt comprised around 7.89% of that total, or around $1.728 billion according to 2021 data from Measure 1, a higher education data as analytical firm. Now, when I Google this, it said roughly is now approaching 1.60 in trillion in student loan debt that that adds on to the average national debt of America. Now, two years ago, when I talked about this, either on this channel or on my main channel, last time I looked at it was like roughly 1.2. It has grown an extra, if my math is right, four some percent, maybe. Could be wrong. So it went from yeah. 1.2 trillion to so it grew very fast, and I think it holds and it will on. Grow. 
Yeah, and the still will grow. And I think it holds on from last year because a lot of universities kind of didn't want to uptake the student on the um what it called the tuition. So, right there, that played also a factor. Let's keep going. Here are some key stats about 43 million Americans with student loan debt, which is right. It's roughly 43 million. So we have 330 million Americans in this country. 43 of them have student loan debt. So we if we slash that, that's, that leaves us roughly 200 and I think 90 million that don't got student loan debt. I think I'm right. Yeah. 390. Yeah, because right now the population of America is 330-something million. And 43 right. million Americans out of that pie has student loan debt. Right. Okay, so let's go on. Who is a typical student loan borrower? A typical student loan borrower statistically has left school with nearly 30K in debt. The average among the class of 2019 was 28950 according to the Institution of First College Access and Success. About 25% went to grad school. According to the Brookings Institution, the rest sought associates or bachelor's degrees. In general, women borrow more for college compared with men, and black students borrow more compared with all other races and ethnicities. Do I need to read this again? Yes, you do. You really need now, to read that again. Now, Please read that again, sir. Please. Now, mind you, before I read this again, I just pulled this up, and I did not know black people in this country got more debt going to school. And it said not Please just it said black people, not women, black people. So let me read that again. Because you're not the only one, so please read that again. All right. In general, women borrow more for college compared with men, and black students borrow more compared with all other races and ethnicities. I want that to sit in. You got to let that sink in. People need to know that. People need to hear that. Because I guarantee yeah. you, most people would never have thought. That's not an assumption, especially with the way uh, uh, the media portrays African-American community as if they're, they're ignorant, they're uneducated, they're not doing anything with their lives. Most of the time, most of the time. I mean, yeah. let's say out of every 10 stories, one story in the media is about something positive. I won't even give them that much credit. Out of every 100 stories, one story is positive. So most of the time, the media is portraying African-Americans as having some kind of problem. And, and so the average person, does, to no fault of their own, would have never thought that African-Americans are spending the most student loans. And that's a, think about how amazing that is, because if you think about it, African-Americans are only 12% of the U.S. population, 14% yeah. on a very, very high average. Yeah. A conservative average, a reasonable average is 12% of the population. Mm -hmm. So you're telling me that 24 million people are borrowing more for student loans than the other 310 million people. Isn't that ridiculous? And we can't even assume that it's all 24 million. It's not like mm -hmm. it's every single black person is borrowing. I, for one, have never borrowed money for student loans. So it's Where not like every single I, one. I, I haven't either. I have never took a Neither of us have borrowed. So it's not a, so it's not 100% of black people borrowing, and we're still borrowing more than everybody else. Us, mm. us so-called ignorant, uneducated gangbangers are, are, and baby mamas, we're, we're actually borrowing more than all the other races combined. That, that has to be a typo of some sort, right, brother? Mm -hmm. That doesn't go along yeah, with the narrative. 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah. And here's the funny thing. It doesn't go along because with the, this, and, here, and here's the funny thing. I'm not sure who runs this this ad, this blog, Nerd Wallet, but it sit here reveals information that they don't talk about. Now, I know that most black people, and we know women are going to college more than men. We all, It's obvious because, you know, out of everything, women, they have to get an educated somewhere, so they go and go to school. You get me? But my thing is this, that I didn't know that black people just in general in America, people that are descendants here in this country, take on more loans just to go to school than everybody else. And, we have never we had afford, and we can't afford school. So obviously when I think about it, we're going to take more, but I think we were the most in this country. So it seemed to me, Paco, that they are giving up money for people to get in debt in school, but will not give African Americans loans for things that really they could make benefit of their money, of more tangible risk. Imagine that. I, I, I'm, I'm surprised. I am surprised. Every time I hear a statistic where African Americans are leading, it always surprises me that, mm-hmm. that we're because it's such a small, that, that the minority of African Americans is one in 100. Mm-hmm. That's how many other people are in America compared to African-Americans, about on average, just estimate. So how could a, a minority that's one in 100 lead the, the, the country in anything, in anything, yeah. from, from something positive to something negative? How could such a small minority lead others? That's, a, that's yeah. important to recognize. That's very important to recognize. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's something to really investigate further, but I know why that we would lead in that because let's be honest, since the end of 2009, going on the last decade, the government has put in policies in place that you cannot normally default in student loan debt in America. That debt will stay to until you pay it off. But there's a great default on everything else but this, and there's reason for that. Black people, I want you here. But let me continue reading on because I want to go through this article. Student loan debt, or we call um, student debt, is most common in the in the age of 25 to 34 age group. But the greatest amount of debt is owned by those 35 to 49 years of age. Interesting. Um, more than 600 billion in undergrads graduate and parent loans, as well as payments stretched out by forbearance or income-driven replacement or repayment plans. Student loan debt by age. The age group with the most federal student debt is 35 through 49 years of age, with $601.7 billion. But the most borrowers are in the 25 to 34 age group. Here how student loan debt breaks down by age, and it shows a graph here, which I'm going to go, age group, 24 and younger, millions of borrowers by 7.5%, billion in debt, 1103.7 billion, 25 to 34, millions in borrowers, 14.9%, average, billions in debt, 506 billion, 35 to 49, 14.3 14.3 millions in borrows, billions in debt, 613.0 billion, 50 to 61, 6.3%, billions in debt, 273.7 billion, 
and 62 and older is 2.4 million borrowers and roughly billions in debt under 100 billion, roughly 92.7 billion. And it, is there more source? And this is by um, the portfolio of student loan debt by quarter of 2021. Now, obviously, if everyone knows, the older you are and you decide to go back to school, they said once you reach in your mid-60s, actually you go to school, school's actually free across the board. But under that, you got to pay for, for school. So if you notice the numbers start to slowly drop as you go past 50. But once you're 24 to 62, or actually 50 to 61 to 24 and younger, it's only 7.5 to roughly 6.3. But once you hit the ranges from 25 up to 49, that's when it, it, it increases and it jumps up very high. So it seemed to me from this little graph, if people could really commentary, and I want people to leave comments during the end of this broadcast, I want y'all take on this, that people that go to school or decide to go back to school, they're going to take on more debt once they hit 25. In general, people in definitely general. take on more debt. Yeah. And if it's not for student loans, it's for other things. And that's yeah. that's part of my point that I'm gonna be making to you. So that's a good mm -hmm. that's another good point that we have to focus on. Yeah. When people take on debt, absolutely when you start hitting twenty five, taking on debt. That's a great point. Mm -hmm. Statistically, that's when people are taking on debt, for sure. My well my thing is this, um, when people that uh, this is me, I think it depends what degree they're getting, um, Paco. But if somebody decides now to go to school in their mid twenties, then yeah, you're going to be taking loans because let's think about it. what are people doing once they finish high school, roughly around eighteen years or right now. I think it's now now nineteen years of age. Cause I gotta double check what's the average age somebody finished high school. But around that, some people are searching for themselves. Some people say they want to work. They're not ready to go to school yet. Depending on it, hell, some might even go to community college. I don't know. But the point is this, once they start going to a four-year university, which they don't give us in detail, or what, if it's a um, community college or a four-year university, we don't know where this range jumps from mid-25 to almost 50. So, I mean, but it's a good glimpse, but I can want I, more detail. Can I make a point about that? Yeah. Yep, so you made a point that, that people are taking on this debt um, and they're trying to find themselves. And so... In my dreams, I have a few dream jobs. One of my dream jobs is going to be, and I'm hopefully going to make this work, I'm going to be a public speaker to help people, you know, motivational speaker. And one of the things I'm going to talk about is finances, why I'm very thankful that you uh, introduced me to allow me to come on and speak to your audience because this is something that I hope to do for a living in my in my after my first retirement. So let me break down my views so people understand what this whole first retirement is. And quickly, for people who don't know, I, uh, I'm an immigrant from South America, but I did all my schooling in the United States. I'm the fifth child. So when it came time to graduate high school, I was a A minus B student. I didn't have a full ride scholarship. When it came time to go to, to graduate high school, I had to choose and my parents having five other children didn't have any money to to send me to college and I was I graduated in the year 2000 so it was a time where everybody knew you know, well into the generation the the the, uh, 
the millennials, well into the generation where you know you have to go to college. The baby boomers, the end of the baby boomers had already established, you have to go to college as a society at large. So I didn't have money for college. And so I also didn't want to stay in my local town and work because, like most people, you know, your local town doesn't provide you with a great job. They could provide you with a beginning job. I had a job in high school, a pretty nice job, and it was cool, but it wasn't something that you could retire from or you couldn't have a great income, and I was having a baby. I had a baby at 19 years old, so I was looking at having a baby with my high school sweetheart, and then how was I going to take care of that baby? And what are the mm-hmm. options? I could stay at my, my, my current high school job and make $17,000 a year. I could go get some student loans, go to college, and make $0 a year. Or I could uh, – my, my older brother had went to the military the, 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 the summer before my senior year. He, was, he graduated the year before me. And my sister, my older sister above him, uh, she, she went to the military in the, the end of my, my senior year. Uh, um, November 1999. My sister is the most academically uh, acclaimed member of our family, and I looked at her saying, if she's smarter than me, and she's, she only did a, a few months of, of um, community college and decided to go to the military, then I need to pay attention to what's going on. And my brother also went to the military. I need to pay attention to what's going on. But why are they doing that? Why aren't they staying doing the local job? Because we all work together at, at the same job during high school. And they're making a decision to do something to better themselves. Why? And fortunately for me, my, my sister's recruiter, the, the guy, if anybody who knows about the military, the, the military has recruiters who come and speak to you. Even if you just went to high school in the United States, the recruiters come and speak to you and pitch themselves and say, this is why you should join our branch of the military. And my sister's recruiter, after putting her in the military, came to me and said, what do you want to do with your life? And I told him, I don't want to join the military. And he said, well, what do you want to do with your life? I said, I want to go to college. He said, why don't you join the military and I'll help you go to college? I said, I don't want to join the military. He said, why not? I said, I don't want to go get killed. I'm not even an American. I don't yeah. want to die for a country that, yeah. that, that I, I wasn't even born in. He's like, well, that's not what the military is all about. He said, why don't you sit down with me and let me tell you what the military is about. So he told me about all these thousands and thousands of jobs that the U.S. Navy had. And he said, well, if I can get you the college money, why don't you join the Navy and let's see how it goes. Your sister did it. Why not you? And I started to think about it. And at the time, I had went to two high schools. Some people do this, very few, but some people do this. I went to a vocational high school to learn a technical skill, like a, like a tech school, along with my regular high school. So I graduated from two high schools. And at my vocational high school, they, 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 I was learning how to do drafting design. Uh, anybody who knows about architecture, the drafter is like a nurse to the architecture who is like a doctor. So I was learning the basics of architecture. And I was doing well. And the Navy had a, a drafting program. It had a drafting job. And so my recruiter said, you can come in, do drafting like you're already doing for a living. We'll pay you, and we'll also give you college money. And I started to think, well, that might be pretty darn good because I'm having a baby. I could take care of my child, and I could do what I've already been doing. So most people who don't want to go to the military were just like me. They didn't know the first thing about the military or the last thing. All they knew is they didn't want to get killed. Now, specifically for African-Americans, we can't look at things like that because we're in dangerous situations as it is. Being an African-American male, you're seven times more likely to get killed to get a harsher punishment than your white counterpart. You're three times more likely to get killed by law enforcement than your white counterpart. 
So you can't walk around the streets of the United States concerned about your safety and compare it to the military because you're already in a war zone every day just living as an African-American male and or female. Being an African-American is inherently dangerous. We are an endangered species. Exactly. And for you and I, who are Africans, Africans from the Americas, from other parts of the Americas, the Caribbean, South America, those are all the Americas, we're, we're equally uh, endangered because we're not even protected as African-Americans. The African-American community doesn't necessarily accept us, doesn't necessarily protect us, doesn't necessarily reach their hand out to us because they're American, and Americans don't necessarily protect others. That's not what they do. So we have to earn the right to be Americans. And so it's very dangerous to just be an African-American. So people who are like, ah, this military thing, I don't know. Well, let's look at the benefits of the military. The military is going to pay you to learn how to do a job that they teach you how to do. If you choose correctly, 90% of the jobs that you can learn are going to be technically related jobs, jobs that you, uh, another 50% of those jobs are jobs that you can't do as a regular civilian that you would not be exposed to unless you're in the military, and you're getting paid the whole time. Let's look at college. College, you're just paying. You pick a career field, you do all the classes, and you're just shelling out money. Money you don't have, hence why you get student loans. So Mm. you're getting paid to do one thing, which is a job, which is a career, versus paying now, let's look at another thing the military does. The military, once, you, once they train you and they pay you to train you to do this job, often technical jobs, it's not all this killing like we see. The military is not saving Private Ryan. Saving Private, saving Private Ryan, a very famous military movie, Forrest Gump, all these Army movies are about, um, what's the job that they do? About infantry people. Infantry, that's one job or maybe let's say four different kinds of infantry. And the Air Force calls it security forces. That's one kind of job, one very small kind of job. The military as a whole is far larger. There's thousands of jobs. So, for example, if you are a architecture person like I was trying to be, a drafting and design person, you're not going to be dodging bullets and shooting things. That's not your job. That's for the infantry. You're going to be in the office doing drafting design with the with the with the architects and the people who the military hires to, to design buildings for them, the civil and the, the Army engineers, the Army Corps of Engineers, the things like that. That's who you're going to be working with. You're not going to get sent to, to uh, Vietnam or to Iraq in my time and to uh, Afghanistan in my time because that's not what you're trained to do. When you join the military, you have a job that you're supposed to do. Always you focus on your job. You could be doing logistics. You could be doing transportation. You could be driving trucks. You could be a nurse like my sister. You could be doing, you could be doing all kinds of things. You could be, think about this. We have uh, nuclear missiles, ICBMs, and we have people who man those missiles 24-7. If you're on the ICBM team for the Air Force, I think they're the primary uh, group of people who man those. If you're manning the, the ICBMs that you're going to launch, across the ICBM intercontinental ballistic missiles to another country across the Atlantic, when are you ever going to get shot at? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's your job. You're an ICBM technician. The, the Air Force trains you to man their missiles, to, to check the cooling, to check all the, the computer programs for that. You're on that 24-7. You're somewhere in, in, in North Dakota. Who's shooting at you? When are you ever going to combat? You are not combating a damn thing. The closest thing you come to combat is spraying some off when you're outside taking a smoke break to, to protect you from the, from the um, mosquitoes. Mm-hmm. So when you think about the military as a young person, you may be thinking of saving Private Ryan, or you may be thinking, hey, I'm going to be, you know, like uh, Call of Duty or, or Fortnite or something like that. But that's not reality. The reality is each person gets a job, and the smallest group of people have a task 
of combating the enemy in combat, a yeah. combat-related job. You have officers and enlisted people who do that. But 99% of the military never shoots, never shoots a gun, never shoots a bullet, and never actually gets shot at either. You have this large group. My sister is in the, in the military, in the, excuse me, medical field. You have this large group of medical people. The Navy has the largest group of, of medical people in, in, the mil- in, the, in all of the military. The Navy puts out the medical corps. Corpsmen, and and then they also have a small group. Think about this: they have a very small group of of people in the medical corps who are combat medics, who are trained to go with the Marines, go with the SEALs, go with the Army, and to be in a posture where they could defend and heal. But they're one, maybe half a percent of all the medical medical people in the military. That's not the greater uh, uh, group of, of, of military people in the, in the medical field who are taking bullets, who are ducking behind trees, who are trying to put a tourniquet on somebody and rush them on a helicopter on fire. That's TV. That's not everyone. And so the first thing I want to say on this, po- on this podcast as we have this discussion is I want to encourage people to consider going to the military. I want mm-hmm. to con- encourage people to consider going to the military and specifically on the topic of saving yourself student loan money. The military will pay you if you complete three to five years honorably. Your, one yep. of your benefits, your VA benefit will be, a VA benefit is a benefit you get as a veteran. So after you complete your honorable time, you can access a VA benefit to something called the Montgomery GI Bill that was created in the 1950s uh, for people coming home from war to, to get into the housing market. And they also made, that's the VA home, that's the VA home loans, but they also have the GI Bill. The GI Bill is specifically for your education. And so you can go and get this education packet. The education packet will be 36 months of education at no cost. Mm -hmm. And you can get a kicker where you can get up to 48 months. So you can get three years, up to four years of education in any school you want. So my wife and I both utilize our Montgomery GI Bill after we got out of college. And there's a post 9-11, an upgraded version of the post of the GI Bill. So when we got out of the military, excuse me, we got off of active duty, we finished our contract, we accessed our VA benefits, we went to school, and we didn't pay. We didn't pay. We didn't have, we didn't write any checks. We weren't charged any checks. You go in, you prove that you're a veteran, you, you, you register with the VA, and what you do is when you go to register for your class, they take your information, they have a specific form, they send that form off to, from, the, from the school, send it straight to the VA, and the VA sends that school a check for your class for that, for that course. Mm-hmm. So however classes you need for that semester, each of them, right, once you register for them, they send the bill off to the VA, the VA pays it. You don't even have anything to do. All you have to do is show up to the class and pass the class. And let me tell you the kicker, something you didn't even think about. You don't even have to pass the class. You're getting education, that you, and you don't even have to take it. You could BS around and not even pass the class. Now, there are consequences to not passing the class, which are if you don't pass the class, the school will remove you from them. Everyone knows about being on the list, the, the, the academic list. Now, the dean's list is when you do well, but the academic uh, punishment list is the academic, I think it's, I forgot what it's called, academic list. Um, when, you, when you're on academic review or something, when you're being punished, when you don't meet the standard. Each school has a standard. You have to maintain a 2.0 or a 3.0 or a 2.5. Once you fall below the, 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 the average that the school requires, now you're on the academic list. This is not the good dean's list. This is the bad list, students who aren't doing the right thing. Once you fall below that, the VA, the military doesn't kick you out of school. The school kicks you out. 
because you're making them look bad. And they're a business. They're all about getting money. They're there to make money. And they can't have bad students. That doesn't help them make money. So they don't even want to take your money anymore. So now the school prevents the VA from sending them more money on your behalf because you didn't pass. But there's no requirement for you to pass, even though the government is paying for you to go to this school. Mm-hmm. And you can go to any school. You can register for Harvard if you can get in. You can go to Yale. You can go to Cambridge. You can go, well, not, not Cambridge. You have to go to a U.S. school. But you can go to any school that you want, and the VA will pay for you as a benefit to you if you qualify by completing your, your term, your, 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 your contract honorably. And that's where I met my wife. Well, that's not where I met my wife. That's where I got to know my wife because we were both going to school in the VA, getting our education for free. So think about that. You just went over a bunch of stats of, of Americans out there spending up their money, not even spending up their money, spending up their future, borrowing money, leveraging their future to get, to get into college, and they haven't even thought of going to the military. They're scared of the military. They have this, they have this negative stereotype of the military when the military could be a solution to this problem. And I think you know this. There's 40% of African-Americans in the military. The military is made up of 40% African-Americans. Okay. A lot of African-Americans. So all the other races make up the 60%, but the African-Americans make up 40% of the U.S. military. So in line with the statistics you were giving us already, all those African-Americans who are leading the country in borrowing money, right, from the government to go to school, we can offset that simply by giving the same country that you love, all these patriots, African-Americans are as patriotic as anybody else, all these patriots in our community can spend three to five years in the military and completely wipe away their student loan debt. And I mean completely wipe it away. Now, you might be a smart person on, on listening in on this and thinking, to you, well, I can't graduate with only 36 months. Yes, you can. Because while you're on active duty for those three to five years, you can take classes. Even if you only take one class a semester, you can complete at least one year of education in five years. Then you'll get 36 full months to do the rest of your education. That's four years any way you slice it. That's a bachelor's degree. Let's say you do more than five years. Let's say you do, like my wife did, 12 years. And you do one year worth every three years. So in 12 years, you've got a bachelor's degree. So then you complete your, you get out after your 12 years, then you go on to your post, your, excuse me, your graduate's degree, not your postgraduate, but your graduate's degree because you have 36 months of free education that you've earned from your time after 12 years. So you've got a bachelor's degree, you go straight to your master's degree, and you're not paying a dime for it. Isn't that superior to just going to college and being a 22-year-old with, what did you say, the average was $40,000 of debt after you graduate college? I think that's what you said, right? Chaos? Yeah, can you hear me? Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah, I, I have to switch. Um, the natural debt, if I could recall... Um, you, you said the average debt for students was about 40000 after they graduate. I think that's what you said. I think it might be more than that. Let me double check, but keep talking. Let me find that. Cause I want to get the actual number. Keep talking. Mm, let's see. All right. And there's more to this. For all um, the African-Americans out there, 
who are naturally inclined to be afraid to join the military, let's reconsider for these three critical reasons. One, oh, no. it, it said every position million. is not – you said 14 million. No, no, no. 40, 43 million um, Americans have student loan debt as a look down. Millions of bar 25 through 34 is 14.9%. 35 to 49 is 14.3%, and then the numbers start to decline, money borrow. And there's more into it, but keep talking. Right. So the point is three major reasons why African-Americans should consider getting joining the military to offset college. And, and this is my number one option instead of getting student loan debt. I said I recommend the military. There's four branches, the Army, the Navy, the Marines, the Air Force. We also sometimes count the, the Coast Guard. We don't always count them. That's a, that's a military joke. We do count the Coast Guard, but that's a joke. So instead of going to college and being 22 with a degree and $40,000 of debt, you can join the military at the exact same time, do four years, and be 22 years old with 36 months of free college that you've earned from doing your time active duty. Not to mention how much ever money you save from your military time. So if you're an intelligent, careful person and you don't have a bunch of kids by the time you're 22 and you don't have a bunch of debt by the time you're 22, let's say you're responsible. Let's say you spent your time overseas working and you saved your money. You could easily come home with $100,000 in the bank, getting out of the military and going to college for free. So now instead of you worrying about paying thirty, forty, fifty $50,000 for the next 20 years, you're thinking about how can I spend this 100000 I can buy a house. I can buy a house and a car. I can start my own business, and I can live off my 100000 while I go to school. And I left out an important thing about the, 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 the school, the VA benefit. The VA benefit not only pays the school directly for your enrollment for each class, the VA also pays you a stipend. The VA pays you cash every month because the VA considers that a student needs a place to live and study. And so part of your benefit is not only 36 months of direct payment to any school, accredited school that you choose, that you qualify for, but also a stipend. And the stipend is based on your state. So if you're going to school in North Dakota, you're going to get a lower stipend. If you're going to school in Manhattan, you're going to get a much higher stipend. And if you go to school in California, Hawaii, you're really going to get a high monthly stipend because it's based on what it costs to live. Now, if you are like me, you're working and going to school. So I went to school uh, right after work. I, my first job out the military, I was fortunate enough to finally have set hours out of 9 to 5. I go to work at 6 a.m., I get off by 3 p.m., and then I go to school from 5 p.m. To 10, to 10 p.m. So I had about two hours to take a break, take a nap, finish my studies, and go to school. And I did that every day for three years, got my bachelor's degree. So, but I was double dipping, so my job paid me for my work, and then the VA paid me for going to school. So at 25 years old, no, excuse me, I got out at 26. So at 27 years old, I bought my first house because at 26 years old, I was making $90,000, 70 plus thousand from my job, and another 20,000 from the VA, which is the opposite of a normal 25, 26 year old who is still paying back student loans. If I had student loans, it would be stealing from that income that I was making, like it steals from everyone's income. All the people with student loans suffer that same problem. So my suggestion is to don't have student loans. Let's get away from student loans. And a simple 
patriotic payment of your time to your country's military would alleviate you of these crippling decades of student loans. Don't you think? I think it's pretty reasonable, don't you think? It, it, it would make a lot of sense. And let me add on to what you're saying. Two black men that I know personally created what we call the Great Faulkner Initiative. And they said that the few things to empower black Americans, especially black men, is they need to go to institutions of power. There's an old military saying that Charles always said. When there is, I think it said, when everything else fails, you must go into the powers of the institutions. When land and everything is um, covered, you must go to the place that has the most stronghold. You get me? Since you don't got numbers. I like it. I like so, it. So, and I forgot, I, did I ever send you that through email, the Great Fault Initiative? Did I ever send it to you? I don't think I ever did. You mentioned it, but you didn't send it to me yet. Uh, I'll, I'll send it before you head back. Um, yeah, um, these, these two brothers helped wrote and compose this, for, and it's been out for over two years. And I'm going to tell you personally, Paco, a lot of black males, and some black women didn't really believe in it either, but most of black males looked at it, then look at it, or read it, and kind of laughed at it, and think it's not no thing that will be effective or work for black males. But I'm thinking that, okay, I'm in my certain 30s, you just now turned 40, that this is supposed to be helpful for young men. Besides women, women are in the military now, as you know, because you follow that black women are now enrolling more than ever. And my biggest concern is, what's happened to these boys? Because when the boys are not performing or don't give any opportunity, you're not going to have a community long. You get me? If this keeps going. You get me? I agree so, with you. Absolutely. So, so these two black men create this to help empower young black males or males of certain age, 18 up, that they can implement this right now. It either is police force, EMT, or what's the other place? The fire department. And the top of the list out of all those institutions was the military. And I think black men should harbor more in the military because that's the only institution that I feel they cannot regulate. Because let's be honest, majority of non-black people on the average cannot pass the basic fitness test. That's really important. And let me talk about that because yes. I, I, I'm so happy you brought that up. Yep. So most of us don't know anything about the military before we, we join. The military has everything that you need as a normal person everything that you need as a normal American. If you are one of the good old boys who grew up in the, let's say, rural part of America or on the outskirts of the suburbs and you like to fish and hunt and you're a great shot, you join the military and you put those hunting, shooting skills to, to, to use, join the infantry, you become a ranger, you become a SEAL, if you're an athlete, like you just said, you're male or female, you're a track star, you're a basketball player, you're a football player, a tennis player, a swimmer, the military has the all-military teams that compete for all of these things. There are people who join the military who also go to the Olympics. Not as many, because if you're a really, really great top-of-the-line athlete, a sponsor picks you up and you don't have to excuse me, go to the military. But as we all know, there are thousands and millions of athletes, and there's only a few spots for the top, and everyone else is left behind. So if you're a great athlete, maybe not top, but you're in, a, in the, let's say, the second rung, but you're a silver-level, silver, level, silver medal level uh, athlete, 
and you don't have a Division One school beating down your door, why can't you join the military and become an officer, get paid, continue doing your, your, your sport, and keep moving your sports career forward? We all know, this, we've all heard this, the Army-Navy game. It's a football thing. But the Army-Navy don't only have, the Army-Navy Academy don't only have football teams. They have basketball teams. They have tennis teams. They have track teams. They compete in other things. And so if you're an athlete like that, the military could be a way for you to keep your, 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 your passion for your sport going. And for once again, since we're talking to the African-American community, we should be dominating these things because you're already great at these sports. You're already the, 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 the star at your high school for these things. Yes, you want to go to Division One. Yes, you want to go to Duke and play basketball or go to, you know, Stanford and play uh, um, polo. But there's other things you can, there's other places you can do. And if you do it for the military, the key is the military pays you a salary. When you go into the military academy as an officer, you're getting paid an officer's salary to study. You have, you're held to a high standard, but you're getting a paycheck every month. If you're an enlisted person, a normal person, the, the, the basic level of the military, nothing special, just the basic level, working away from e, E1 all the way up to E9, E10, E9. You're getting a salary every single day. From boot camp forward, you're getting a salary. Where your peers are in college, yes, they might be going to parties. Yes, they have a cake party. Yes, they'll be drinking beer or, or hanging out or, or going to another campus for a party. But you know what they're not doing? They're not getting a check. They're not thinking about buying a house at, at 19 years old because they don't qualify. They're not thinking about buying a car. They're waiting to get out of college to get a job to do those things. You've got years head start because you're getting a salary every single month. And you could use your athleticism, like you said, to get you those opportunities in the military. Yes, it's not as glamorous, but what does it matter if you're doing what you really love? If you really love football, why can't you do it for the Army or the Navy or the Air Force? If you really love basketball, why can't you do it? If you love tennis, why can't you do it for the military and get a paycheck at the same time? Sure, being free and having a sponsor would be great, but we know that's reserved for the 0.5%. The rest of us need to take the opportunities we have, and I want to encourage the African-American community and people at large coming out of high school, stop putting yourself into these student loan debt problems, join the military, put your, put your little five years of, of, of work in, save you a lifetime of student loan debt. And I didn't even mention this. You can join the reserves. You can join the reserves. Same thing. Go to boot camp for two months. Go to school for another two to six months. Learn your trade. Learn your job. But then you don't have to work every day in the active duty military. You work once a month on the weekend. And you can still be home with your family, still do whatever local job. Let's say you love working at the car, the car repair shop with your dad. And you could be there, and you only have to give up one month a year, one month, one weekend a month, two weeks a year and you still get the benefits of the college. You still keep yourself out of those horrible, crippling student loan debt. And all of this information has existed for decades. It's, it's not a secret. And our fear of the military is also not a secret. And I want to be the person who's really encouraging people to stop fearing it, because not just because I like it. It worked for me. Did I tell you that my daughter, my daughter joined the military also? Yeah, you told me that. Yes, you told me. Yeah. Upon my, upon my uh, encouragement, my daughter decided that the way I did it was also a way that she can do it. And now she's finished boot camp. She's in her military school. She's working on it. She's being a leader in her class. But the best part is she's getting a paycheck every day since she left the house. 
from the day she goes to boot camp, you get a paycheck on the first and the fifteenth. And so now daddy doesn't have to pay for everything. She can go out and buy the things that she wants. She could work on being a real responsible adult and not just a college student because, let's be honest, nobody thinks that college students are real adults. They, they haven't taken on all the responsibility. They're not independent yet. They still got to call their parents to help them with this and help them with that, and they go home to their room that they were living in before they left home, right? They're, they're not out in the world yet. They're still learning. Well, my daughter's also learning, but she's also getting a paycheck, and she can also make adult decisions and practice being an adult and be the adult that she's going to be because she's getting a salary, and your salary is your freedom. I said this in a video that I posted on my page before. Your income is your freedom. If you don't have money, you don't have rights. That's what this is about, for me at least, getting people their money. If you don't have money, you don't have rights. That's why politicians always pander to the richest in our society, because money gives you rights. If you don't have money, you don't have rights. That's why racism has been keeping African Americans from getting equal rights from getting into schools, from getting into business, from giving us redlining so we can't live in certain neighborhoods. Because if we don't have money, they can always keep our rights. That's why you won't get your reparations, African-Americans. Because if America gave you the money that they owed you, which is by now trillions of dollars, and you took that money and applied it to your life and you got the rights you deserve, America would be very different. And they don't want that. They never have. That's why they won't give it to you. But okay, let's not argue about reparations. What can you do to get your money? You could be an athlete. You could be a singer or a dancer. You can also be an outstanding military person. And you can get your money a little bit slower, but a lot more consistent. Because once you're active duty, you're going to get that paycheck on the 1st and the 15th without fail. A lot of us aren't sure when we're going to get our next paycheck. COVID, unemployment, unemployment rate, I mean our companies, we work on commission. When you work on commission, you never know what you're going to get. You know who always knows when they're going to get? The military. Because they get their paychecks on the 1st and the 15th, come hell or high water. That, that consistency is what sets your credit score on fire. That's what gets your credit score growing, because you're going to get your paycheck all the time. Once you get your paycheck on time, you can pay your bills on time. Once you pay your bills on time, your credit score can grow. That's what it's all about, right, brother? Financial freedom. Yes. Yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Mention some and books that we all should read in financial freedom. Rich Dad, Poor Dad, number one. My second, my favorite, personal favorite, The Richest Man in Babylon. A lot of okay. people like Think and Grow Rich. These books talk about financial freedom. You have to get to that financial freedom, and you're not going to get to it by getting student loan debt. Student loan debt is the number one way to prevent you from getting student loan, uh, getting financial freedom. Do you know the, two, the number one and number two thing in America that gets people bankrupt? Health issues, number one. If you have a health issue, if you have a severe health issue, a stroke or something like that by you personally, a family member, health, health debt is the number one way to go bankrupt in America, and student loan debt is number two. Mm. So we should be very serious about getting away from student loan debt. We should be very serious about the criminal ring of, of colleges that, that run this country that are stealing money from us every day and trapping us in this. You know how long it takes people? It takes people more than 20 years to pay off, pay off those student loans. It's a monopoly. Like you said, they never – it's a monopoly, and it's an evil one. And yeah, it's it's the, worst evil part one. Is, the worst part is it's avoidable. I don't care if you don't think that you could go to the military. You can a lot of people tell me the military is for everybody. Nothing's for everybody. 
Yes, you have to pass a physical test. If you lost three toes on your left foot, the military may say, we can't accept you. We need you to be in a certain level of physical fitness. But how many millions of people do qualify? Don't tell me about you can't pass the test. You can pass the test if you study because you graduated high school. You need to put your head in the game and get the best that you can get. And if the military is your best option, I'm encouraging you to take it. You know, and I think it's a great uh, option. It's a really, really good option compared to the other options is what I mean. You know, compared to what should be the question. You know, it's interesting you mention that because usually they always have some requirements that they say if you got some sort of surgery, they can't, you can't qualify. And I'm thinking, say, hold on, hold on. I I got that call like over a decade and a couple years back. And I told him, say, yeah, I went on the knife one time. I think the surgery I had maybe was, what was it? Was it my eyes or something? I can't remember. It was something like that. It's some some surgery. And they said, well, you know, you can't qualify. And I'm thinking, say, hold on. Usually it should be something where if you still have your limbs and everything together, you should still be able to be qualified to join the service. Because one little small little surgery should like, um, what, what's the word? Um, disqualify you just to, to do the basics, training and all that stuff. It's weird. Um, well, let me, give you, let me give you some information on that. Oh, let me just make a, a quick point about that. Every branch has different standards. The Air Force has the highest standards. They're the smallest branch. The Army has the lowest standards. They're the biggest branch. So a lot of times people want to go to the Air Force and they say, the Air Force says, hey, we don't, we, you don't qualify. That doesn't mean you don't qualify for the military altogether. It means that you don't qualify for the Air Force at that time. Okay. Or you don't qualify for that specific job in the Air Force at that time. You still have three other branches to go to. Now, uh, if you have better options, okay. Okay. there you go. If you have better options, you, you, may, you may say, I didn't really want to go to the Air Force that bad. I just wanted to see if I could make it. I'm going to go ahead and take my full ride scholarship to Stanford. No problem. A lot of people join the military because they feel that they want to represent their family. Their, their granddad went and their, and their, or their mom went, and they want to keep the tradition going. I've started that with my daughter second generation. My sister put me on. So mm-hmm. my sister, my brother, and I'm really proud to say a shout out to my sister who was an officer. She was enlisted. She worked her way all the way up to an officer. We won't get into the details, but let me explain. Let me say that that's a difficult thing to do. She's an officer in the Army Reserve. Very proud of her. Now my daughter joined the Air Force, even though my sister and I was in the Navy. But it, there's, there's branches with different options. Different every, every job has a score. So the way you join the military is first you have to pass what's called the ASVAP. You, you take the ASVAP test, it gives you, you take the ASVAP test, it gives you a score. Each branch puts each one of their jobs into a score. So the ASVAP is from 30, uh, a score of 30 to a score of 99. And all of the jobs are in there. So the Army has, they used to have a commercial, so the Army has 212 jobs. They may have 300 jobs now, maybe a few more, maybe a few, probably a few more. Well, the Navy has over 1,000 jobs, and the Air Force has another couple hundred jobs. Well, each one of those jobs are, are, are correlated to a score. In the Navy, you have to be, if you want, the, 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 the top jobs are nuclear scientists, nuclear operators, not scientists, but nuclear operators. So you learn how to operate and maintain the nuclear engines inside the submarine and the, and the ships. So you have to score the highest to qualify to become one of them. Some of our lower scoring jobs are like cooks or um, I forgot the lower ones, and I don't want to make anyone feel a way about the lower scoring job. But if you get 
a 30 or a 33, you qualify. Then they'll give you a list of jobs that are in your qualification. If you score 40, you qualify for more jobs. You score 50, you qualify for more jobs. You score that 80 or 90, you qualify for all the jobs. So the Army may say, the, excuse me, the Air Force may say, you know, you can't be, let's say, a pilot. Uh, one of my wife's uh, coworkers being a pilot, and they're like, oh, you can't be a pilot because you're colorblind or you have an issue with your eyes, not completely colorblind, but you don't, you don't qualify. Your eyes aren't good enough. But that doesn't mean he can't go to the Army and be uh, a tank pilot or a lieutenant over, you know, transportation. Mm-hmm. Now, if his heart was set, if your heart is set on one specific job and you don't qualify for that job, you may throw it all away, but you don't have to is my point. You don't have to say my military career is over because one branch told me I couldn't have one job. There's thousands of jobs. And I'm sure if you, if you, if you, if you put your mind to it, you qualify for one of them. Obviously, if you have a major injury or a major health condition, the military will say, hey, we can't take you because we don't want to put you at more risk than you already are. You have an irregular heartbeat. We don't want to bring you in here. And even though you're not going to be in infantry, you're going to be under stressful conditions. We don't want you to be under the kind of stressful conditions where you're going to die. That makes no sense. We don't want you to die. We want you to work. We need you to live. Mm-hmm. So you may have a medical condition that eliminates you or disqualifies you completely. But very few people who try have that problem. The majority of people have a thing in their mind that they want to do that, that, that don't, that disqualified now. The people who are disqualified, they have a thing in their mind that they want to do, they get disqualified for that and they throw it all away. And it doesn't have to be that way. I'm a perfect example. I wanted to be a draftsman. I said that earlier. I was going in to be a draftsman. Well, because I was not a citizen, I was an immigrant, uh, they said you can't go in as a draftsman right away because draftsmen requires something called a secret clearance, meaning that you have the ability to see information that is more than just normal information. We don't give uh, clearances to immigrants. You have to be a U.S. citizen to get a U.S. clearance. Well, I didn't have so they gave me another job, and I ended up being an airplane mechanic instead of a, a draftsman for the Navy. Well, in the Navy, I worked my way through. Uh, in 2007, all active duty people with an honorable were able to were qualified to get a um, United States citizenship, and I got my citizenship. I didn't get my clearance while I was in the military, but after I became a, a contractor, a company did get me that U.S. secret clearance. And, and that's another great benefit for people like you and I. We're immigrants. We come to America. We want to make the best out of our American experience. Why not go to the military, join up, do our four years honorably, and get a a citizenship? You and I, I'm sure you know how difficult it is to get a citizenship. A lot of our Latino brothers and sisters know how difficult it is to get a U.S. citizenship. Why not go to the military and get it done as easy as pie? I did it. It was so much easier than doing it as a regular civilian. Uh, Yet another benefit, right? Well, um, Paco, this is Give a little um, notice. Um, actually, I'm actually a citizen of America, so I'm not really a actual immigrant, to be honest. Just, just want to give this. No, no, I didn't say you were immigrant. I was saying you know I'm an immigrant. I didn't say oh, you were. Okay, I said okay, you okay. know people oh, who are okay, immigrants okay, okay. and okay, how okay. difficult it is. Yeah, I, I know. I didn't. I didn't assume you were an immigrant. No, brother. Okay. I was just but saying I'll, we I'll, know. I'll, my mother did the citizenship without the military's help, and it's difficult. Not to mention the money you pay out of pocket. But it's a very, the average American would not pass the citizenship test. It's very difficult. It's like 400 questions you have to know about American history that most schools don't even cover. You have to literally study that stuff on your own, not to mention if you have a language barrier. Hmm. And they could ask you any of those 400 questions for like 10 or 15 minutes. And, they, and a specific person determined 
if you pass or fail. So it's not like you have a written test. You know what I'm saying? You have to study. You have to go in front of the proctor. And you have to answer the questions. You know, who was, the, who was the fifth president? Most people don't remember something like that. Who was the 13th president? What year were they born? What year did they serve? People, unless you're a presidential historian, you probably don't know who the 13th president is and from what years. Most of us barely know the presidents that, that served during our lifetime. Much less the 15th president, we're at 40, 46 now. Like, that's a hard question for the average person. Mm-hmm. So the citizenship test, when, you, when you're active duty and you, and you learn uh, or when you're active duty and you have a study, they give you uh, they don't take it as hard on you. They don't beat you down with, a, with the hardest possible questions and, and terrorize you. It's a whole pomp and circumstance. We'd like to welcome, uh, uh, you know, this person who's serving the active duty, who qualifies, and who came in and wanna, want to not only serve the military but become a U.S. citizen. And I really want to say to my Latino brothers and sisters, that's a, that's a big deal, and you could be very proud. You could be very, very proud to, to say if you want to become a citizen, you want to stay in America, all the dreamers, you know, the Dream Act and the, and the Supreme Court's knocking it down here, knocking it down there. If you want to do that, why not join the military and get that citizenship instead of beating your head against a rock and or getting deported? I, I, I will say this. Um, since for the last, um, what's it like? 18 or 17 it says i think during the when bush was in office he did put some policy in place now if you serve just the four years you are granted automatic citizenship and here's the funny thing about it i remember a few of my relatives that one did serve in the military and you know he got some issue but they can't like send him back home because he served in the military you get me? And I'm going to tell you right now, for most of you that are not aware, if, if you are a first-time immigrant or you came here as a child or whatever age and you never applied for citizenship, I'm telling all foreign people right now, this is be good. Once you get to age, get your citizenship as soon as possible. Do not procrastinate. Do not wait. Do not do that because, let me tell you something, because America has a certain reputation, especially if you're black and you're a male, you don't want to put yourself at risk on anything, on anything right now. Because one slight little criminal mis- mishap, you could possibly be sent back home. And now because for the last 25 years, and there was a good um, movie. I think it was something, with, was it in Jamaica? One of them countries? It was, it was based on it, and there was one policy put in place by the former president of that time back in mid-90s, where now say, you know, they just, Armac will send you back for little things now. So if you did something that was a minor misdemeanor or something you did one time in jail, whatever case may be, that is actually grounds for deportation. And trust me, in the country of Jamaica, especially, they have certain terms that call people that when they send back home. And from what I'm hearing, I watch much content, and I met one particular person. Um, I don't know if you watch any other content on YouTube, Paco, called Politic Watch. And yeah, I think I've heard of that one. This guy said that in his home, the guy, I think he's, he's actually born Jamaican. He said it best that if you were sent home or you did anything criminal, you are sanctioned or you're ostracized from operating in society. You can't get no job, no employment, etc. Only one dude that did some criminal act in, I don't know if it's in Jamaica or outside Jamaica, 
Because he has connections, he was able to become a lawyer in the highest degree in Jamaica. But everybody else that did some little misdemeanor or whatever case, maybe either in Jamaica or outside the country and been sent back home, they cannot find, they cannot work no more. They're shut out out of society. And to me, when I hear that story from that brother or anybody that's from different islands in Trinidad or wherever, that's wrong. And they should not be doing it because now you, you're adding more to the problem because there's a lot of people that leave their homelands for whatever reason because they can't find work or any opportunity. To sit there and say you, you, can't, you can't operate in your society no more because of what you did in another person's land, it seems to me you advocate for criminality because where are they going to go? You can't send them away from where they're born. Once they do something wrong, they got to be sent back in their origin. And you got to find something for them to do or make them still be able to function in society. Now, if they did it back home, then yes, then they should be shut out. But if they did something back there and they now have no choice but to operate in this, this new environment, you got to make sure they're still able to function in your society. To shut them out, you just advocate more criminality, in my mind. You, know, you make a really criminality. good point. And, and, you know, the, the politics isn't like that. The rules don't exist like that. I don't know if anyone was paying attention to who got deported in the last four years under the Trump administration, but deportations went up slightly. People act and pretend as if it was a huge jump from Obama's deportation to Trump's. It wasn't. Trump made some more deportations, but he made some deportations that were more heart-wrenching, more, more for TV. He was, I think he was making a point to his base to show it. I'm, I'm the ultimate deporter-in-chief. He wasn't, but he was, he was, he was very uh, cinematic with it. And one guy got deported because, uh, not because he did something criminal, but because he, he was just past his time and he was eligible to be deported even though he didn't necessarily do anything wrong. I'm not sure if he had stayed past his visa or what, but I, I remember it wasn't something criminal. And they sent him back to Iran, of all places. And he had never lived in Iran. He, brought, he was brought to the United States. Uh, as a very young child, like many of us are, and he didn't speak the language, and he didn't know anyone in Iran, and he was living on the street. Uh, a journalist followed him or went to visit him after he got deported. Uh, this had to be 2018-19, and the journalist followed him and, and tried to find and found him, and he was just living on the street in Iran, having a very difficult time because he doesn't speak the language. He doesn't know anyone. He doesn't have any skills or, or he, he can't communicate. Even if he was a doctor or a lawyer, whatever, how could you do anything if you can't speak the language? You're, you can't be a professional if you can't communicate. So who's going to yeah. hire you if you can't sit down and have the interview? And this poor guy was, was, was in a horrible situation. And many people have that problem. Same with our dreamers who are, you know, uh, of Latino uh, descent coming from Central America or from Mexico, and we deport them. Well, if they come as a child and they've been through the whole U.S. Um, education system like I was, and then you send them back to a, uh, to a Spanish-speaking country, how are they going to survive if they didn't learn Spanish? Mm-hmm. What were they supposed to do? Forget the fact that, you know, there are not that many jobs in a lot of countries. America is, a very, is, a, is one of the few first-world countries. A lot of other countries, are, especially Central America, I, I want to say they're, I won't say exactly, but most of them, if not all of them, are third-world countries. How are you going to go to a third-world country? What kind of job are you going to get? There aren't jobs there in the first place. That's why they're a third-world country. Their economy exactly. is struggling. That's why they're a third-world country. How are you supposed to go there and thrive and survive and live? What are you supposed to do? And, and good luck panhandling. Yeah, we have a lot of poor people. Or we have people here 
who do drugs and just stay on the street and panhandle and they can survive like that because it's a very it's the richest country in the world. A lot of people just give them a dollar here every day. What are you going to do in countries where people don't have a dollar to give you? Look at Venezuela. They were struggling. They didn't have any didn't have any medicine and food for months over there. They started a, a, a riot and they were, they were spilling over into neighboring countries. What are you going to do if you get deported back to Venezuela during the time of this, this horrible economic time? There's no one to give you a dollar or two or ten or much less enough for you to actually live and survive. So I'm all with you. I have a sad story about my best friend from the military. I had told him I was getting my citizenship, and he was from, he is from Trinidad, Tobago. You know, we were buddies. And, and, and he said, uh, I'm, I'm very patriotic. I'm going to go ahead and go back home to Trinidad and, and handle my business. I enjoyed my time, but I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be a patriot to my own home country. He didn't get a citizenship. Well, after I got out and was working for these contracting companies, I, was want, I wanted him to come because he was a better mechanic than I was. But he couldn't come work for any of the contracting companies that I worked for because they, they were contracted on the U.S. government, and they couldn't sponsor non-citizens. So only citizens could work for a contracting company in the United States. And, and I didn't know that. My buddy didn't know that. And if he had known that, he probably would have gotten his citizenship with me. But it never crossed his mind that he would have that kind of opportunity or that would be the rules. So let me say to all the people out there who have the opportunity to get your U.S. citizenship, get it. Especially if you're active duty, get it. It doesn't matter. You may never use it, but you may. And no one knows what you're going to, to, to be doing. No one knows the opportunities you're going to have. No one knows the future. So when you have an opportunity to do something legal that's good, even if you don't know how it's going to be used, get it. You don't have to know the future to know if something could possibly be useful to you. If you can get it, get it, especially your citizenship. I work all over the Gulf and, and Middle East and Asia, and I've met people, hundreds of people, maybe thousands of people who would kill their whole family to get their hand on the U.S. passport. The U.S. passport is by far the most valuable passport in the world, not because the U.S. is better than everyone, but because the U.S. has the most outposts and bases around the world. So because the U.S. has an embassy and a base all over the world, your passport gets you in access to those countries. When Mm. I was teaching in Istanbul, my buddy had just, it was the Syrian uprising. My buddy and I were teaching. He was, he had a master's degree, more years experience teaching than me. And he wanted to leave Istanbul because Istanbul, Turkey is, has had, you know, some, 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 it's been unstable a bit. Not horrible, but it's been a bit unstable. Being a Syrian immigrant, he couldn't go to another country other than, than Istanbul. Istanbul was, I mean, excuse me, Turkey was one of the few countries that would let him in and a few places he could work. And he couldn't leave. And I not even knowing how lucky I was. Well, this was one of the first time I realized how valuable the U.S. passport was. I can go all over the world. I've taken my wife to a few countries. You know what we do? We just go and we pay $10, $20 and get a, a, a 30-day visa. You know how many countries that's not allowed? You and I can get up tomorrow, go to Egypt, go to Germany, go to France, go to London, go to Botswana, go to, go to Mexico, and all we got to pay is a small fee. Go to Japan, go to China. We've got to pay a small few dollars, $20, $30, and we have a 30-day uh, uh, travel visa. Do you know how hard it is for some people from such countries to get a travel visa? A travel visa should be something simple. It's not. It's not for everyone. And so when you get that U.S. citizenship, you get access to the best, and, and, and you need it. I know a lot of my friends, I'm sad to say my students in Afghanistan, 
as much as they want to stay there and, and protect their country, take care of their country. Some of them want to leave. The Taliban hurts people. Like many countries with, 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 with rival factions, people get hurt. One of my students had gotten uh, kidnapped for over, for over 30 days, and I can't do anything to help them. I can't get them out of there. I don't have any connections. Da, 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 da. There's so many people who would like to leave. They're having a hard time with the people who actually were, as you know, the people who are actually uh, interpreters, getting them out. They can't get everyone out. You can't just move the whole country out of there. One of my students is struggling to survive there, and I can't do anything. And I think how fortunate am I to have gotten a U.S. passport and be able to go to country to country with relative ease. Very, very, very fortunate. Billions of people wish they were that lucky, and they're not. And so that's yet another benefit of the military. You join the military, you get a citizenship, and even if, you don't, if you're already a citizen, you can get a U.S. passport in little to no time. Only 23% of the U.S. population has a passport, and it's the most valuable passport in the world by far. The U.S. passport is literally worth its weight in gold. Mm. Hear that, you people? don't have to Hear do that, much people? to convince people to, to kill their family to get a U.S. passport. They would do it in a heartbeat. And that's criminals. People who just want a better life. Think of all the, the, the African migrants crossing uh, the Mediterranean every year, sinking in those ships that are made of literally nothing. You know what they would do to get a U.S. passport so they wouldn't have to risk their life and their family's life to go from Algeria or from Egypt across the Mediterranean in, into, into Italy or uh, into the other European countries? You know what they would do just to be able to get on a plane and safely travel? And we got... 70% of the U.S. population haven't even tried to get their passport. They don't even know how valuable it is. They, so I always laugh at people who say they've never been to Washington, D.C. Mm. Washington, D.C. is one of the most beautiful capitals in the world, of all the world capitals. It's so beautiful. They've, they've rebuilt it and cleaned it up so much. And so many Americans, so patriotic Americans, all this patriot, 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 never been to your country's capital. Have no clue of how valuable, beautiful it, it is. Little things, bro. Little things. That's good. That's good. That's good. All right. Let me give the call number. Um, the call number for tonight's show is 712-770-4160. The access code is 917-324-POUND. I repeat, 712-770-4160. The access code is 917-324-POUND. Tonight's subject, Chaos Rain presents student loan, I mean, actually, my fault, debt and religion with Dr. Black, a.k.a. Paco. Um, let me finish. Let me, I'm going to skip through the article to get to the real deep of this, and I'll end this article here. It says here, student loan debt by... Oh, no, no, I read that already. Now, here's an interesting one, Paco. Brace yourself. Student loan debt by race and gender. Now, it's going to give the number between men and women. Asians and Hispanic loan or student loan borrowers have the lowest debt loan compared with all other races and ethnicities. I wonder why. With black student loan borrowers tend to hold the greatest average debt federal data shows. The average debt disparities is exuberant, even further for black women who carry higher average debt than women across all races and ethnicities. According to American Association of University of Women, here is the average student debt look like for men and women across the race ethnicity. Now, mind you, before I go into this, I want people to follow this good because, you know, we kind of went on dealing with the military. And I want you to go through the whole broadcast because this is all important. I want This is more educational than anything else. So you have a clear picture. 
Now the numbers. Race, ethnicity, from Asia down to white. We're going to start with the Asians. Women, student on deck, 25,252. Men, 25,507. Hispanics or Latinos, 27,029. That's for women. For men, Hispanics, 27,452. That's for the Latinos. Whites, white women, 31,346. White male, 29,862. Now, here's the surprising and frightening part that I'm going to read you. And this has been updated now this year. African-American men, or just black people, black men in general, their student debt is 35665 Black women, African-American women, or just black in general, black women, 37558 So out of all the races or label races, we are actually neck and neck in student on debt as men and women, black. And I want people to understand here. Black, black, black men are in college. I know it's a problem. Black men are in college. So I want people to gather this myth that black men are not in college. Yes, they are. As a matter of fact, for the last almost 20 years, Paco, since we started doing our college journey, a lot more started attending more college around just that time after in the 90s. You get me? One, it started really in the 80s, but it really started mm-hmm. making more push as we end the 20th century. So I don't know why people are saying that black males are not in college. That's rubbish. They're in college. And yeah, it, in college, is, they, it is garbage. They, 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 it is garbage. And we they, can they, look they, at any sport and know that, right? Any sport that yeah. we want to and see the black males are right there in college. <laughs> one, of the, one of the greatest criminal acts of college, the NCAA, is stealing all the, the money that they make from the, the black athletes, from all the athletes. And I'm going to go about athletes, that but, in a second. But especially yeah. the black athletes. They're stealing billions, literally billions. Mm-hmm. And Paco. It's interesting you mentioned college. Now, universities, big top ten colleges, are now going to start paying students that that got scholarships. Well, finally, yeah, they know it's it's overdue. And you know why I hate it? The argument that they said, "Well, we don't know how we're going to divvy it up. How are you going to give it to one student, not the other?" The same way you give the students scholarships. You never questioned how were you going to divvy up scholarships. You never said. Well, we have this scholarship money we want to give out. How we're we going to do it? You figure it out. It's a simple question with a simple answer. You give the higher the, the higher qualifying students more scholarship. You give the lower quality. You give they're called full scholarship or partial scholarships. And the exact same way you can come up with full scholarship and partial scholarships, you can come up with the students who are contributing most to the, the athletic program and give them a fair stipend. And you can give the students who contribute less. Yes, the football team is probably going to make more, uh, get more, because the football team generates more. It's not complicated. This is America. Capitalism is everything here. Mm-hmm. And I hate that we tried to pretend for 100 years that we couldn't figure out a simple question. How do we divvy it up? It's not one answer. There are thousands of ways you can divvy up the profits. And that's what we're talking about. Yeah. The profits that come to the schools after the athletic program generates money. Mm-hmm. There's billions of dollars in said profits. How do you give students a fair portion? There's a million and one answers. Pick one, make it a rule, stick to it, study it, do some think tanks about it after a decade, fix it and improve on it, and, and that's it like everything else in life. 
It's not complicated. You know what's hard? Those rich people to consider poor people to be human and to treat them with the same level of respect that they want to be treated with, to let them bask in some of the benefits that they generate. I hate to use this word because African-Americans have suffered so deeply. I really try to avoid using the S word. But colleges not paying athletes is a form of modern slavery. Slavery is any work that you produce uh, benefits where you don't get any of the benefits. Slavery, my personal definition, there's probably an a, 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 a official definition similar to this. Any work where you produce benefits and you don't share in any of the benefits. So if you're doing the work, you, should have, you have to get a portion of the benefits. And better yet, you, have to get, you should get the majority of the benefits if it's your work, just like any of us who go to a nine-to-five. And these colleges are making billions of dollars on these student athletes and saying, oh, well, you know, we don't know how we could possibly give you. That's a form of slavery. You're stealing. If, if not slavery, I'll use this word very openly and freely. It's stealing. You're stealing from these athletes who are the actual ones putting in the money. You know, most states, the highest paid state employee is a, is a, is a football coach. I know for a fact in Alabama. Yeah, I know, uh, I know the they get paid high, by the millions. By millions. They're getting paid $5 million, $10 million a year to coach football, but nobody on their team is getting paid. No one gives a damn about the coach in no sport. So a lot of people are learning this the hard way in the last decade with more athletes having player, player empowerment, player movement. Coaches are nice, but no one gives a damn about a coach. No one's paid. The, the, the majority of money comes from marketing and advertisements. So these TV companies will pay to put your team on their television to get the eyes so that they can market to them Colgate and shoes and cars. Excuse me. So the coach is not part of that. No one is putting the coaches on TV because no one's tuning in to see a coach of any kind, be it a professional or amateur or any other. No one gives a damn about a coach. People care about their favorite athlete in said sport. If you're a huge college football fan, you're a fan of the players, either collectively or maybe you have one or two of your favorite players. No one's like, you know what I really love about college football? watching the coach call the plays. You know why? Because you can't really watch the coach call the plays. You're not watching the coach do a damn thing. He barely gets on at the, at, the, at the interview. What you're watching is that young quarterback develop and become better, that young receiver catch more passes than he did the season before, uh, that basketball player shoot better than he did, that, that defensive end pick up his speed. You know, that's what you're watching, the athlete. And so we're sitting out here pretending as if we can't figure out how to be reasonable, and it's one of the, the most uh, painful things to suffer through in America. Because every turn is what America does. Churchill had a great saying, and it it proves true all the time. Churchill said, America always does the right thing. He said this after World War II. Um, No, not after, during, because remember, the UK, British Empire at the time was trying to get America to help them in World War II to stop the Germans, right? Churchill said, America always does the right thing after they've tried everything else. And that's the history of America. Look at football. Look at college sports. Look at the NCAA. They have tried everything else but to pay the athletes until finally now the Supreme Court is going to force them to pay the athletes. And we can say that about every, everything in America. They, we always do the right thing after we've exhausted every other option. Which we should really try to do the right thing the first time around. It would save us tons of time and money and effort and, 
and even lives in some cases. So I'm with you that African-American males are, are definitely represented in, in universities, but I am saddened by the information you gave that, that African-Americans are the leading race in student loan debt. That's really, really sad. And I think the reason that is is because the topic we may not have time to get to, but I think it's tied a lot to church. I think, oh, I think you know, you know, let's, let's get a quick to... link. I get a quick link. I got to, I got to throw it in there. I got to throw it in there. Yeah. I think that the church is such a big influence on the African-American community, even though, even for African-Americans who don't go to church, the influence is there. If you look at politics, why every time a politician needs to do something to reach out to the African-American community, they always go to the church. The church is influential whether we like the church or not. I personally am not a fan of church. I have no religious affiliation. I'm not connected to any religion. But the influence is still there. Yeah. And I think that when in the, in the late 1800s and 1900s, when HBCUs, right, we're talking about colleges, right, we're looking at HBCUs. Yeah. Why do they even exist? They exist because white America didn't want to let African Americans get educated even, after, even when it became free. And, yeah. you, and even if you could be, get educated, they refused to sit next to you with a segregated Jim Crow across the whole country, not just in the South, the whole country with segregation. You can't sit next to us. So if we have a class, you can't have a class with us. So who created the HBCUs? The churches. The churches took the contribution of their, of their members and started to create HBCUs. Okay, the HBCUs are, are a testament. People look down on them, but HBCUs are a testament of the African-American community's resilience because there's two things you have to do for your college. Graduate students and bring in new students. So HBCUs would be closed down if they couldn't run them well enough to graduate students and bring in new students. They may not be great, but they've got to give them a lot of credit because they're not being helped. And African-American males are attending those HBCUs and even more African-American females are attending those HBCUs. Yes. But if only we could get the church to stop selling us this, particularly in the United States, this be poor Jesus story, right? Remember, Jesus is this hippie who gave up everything and, you know, don't worry about the future and just go out there and be a good person crap. Well, that's great if you were in Judea, uh, um, the turn of the century, one, 1 B.C. That's great. But you're not in Judea, and this is damn sure not 1 B.C. This is 2001 United States of America, the most capitalistic system country ever. And it, and it starts and ends with money in the United States. And African Americans need to understand it's about money and stop lying to themselves that they're going to get some kind of reward in heaven or that money's no big deal and money doesn't matter. The reason why African-Americans are losing is because they can't get their mind on what's most important, which is money. It's all about money. It's always all about money. It's always, always been about money. Remember, I said this already. Money is your rights. Part of the reason why I advocate for women as a black male feminist, I tell them, get your money. Don't let anyone tell you not to get that job that pays the most. Don't let anybody tell you to, to be subservient to them. Get your money because money is your right, especially in America. If you move to another country, it may be a different rule. But in the United States of America, money is your right. And so African-Americans, the church is not telling you the truth. It's all about the money. Get your money. Don't get student loan debt. Get your money. If you can be a football player, Division One or whatever, do that. Division two, whatever, do that. If you have a chance, I know you've heard this chaos where people are like, hey, don't let your kids play these sports. Don't let your kids, all, this is even more, don't let your kids be these kind of 
musicians. Don't want to be a rapper or a singer because what are they going to do? What's the big deal about being a singer? You know, what you should go to school for is be a lawyer or a teacher. Let me ask the people who think that way a question, and I hope a caller calls in and answers this question for me. Well, we have, we have a caller Ooh. now, so, yeah. Okay. So maybe I, I, don't, I don't want to put this caller on a, on a pressure because this may not be their position, but anyone who agrees with the old saying, don't be a rapper, don't be a singer, don't be an athlete, be a lawyer or a doctor, let me ask anyone out there this question. Who works for who? Does the doctor hire a rapper to work for them, or does the rapper hire a doctor to work for him? Do the football players have lawyers, or do lawyers have football players? Because money is your, is your right, is your power. And so why not be the person who's hiring? If you're going to say be an entrepreneur, it's the same exact thing. If you're an athlete, you're an entrepreneur, you're a business, right? Why not be the person who is the entrepreneur, the power, and hire the doctor and a lawyer, then go to school and be a doctor and lawyer yourself. Why is being the doctor and lawyer, the employee, better than being the boss? That makes no sense to me. If you're a successful football player, you hire a team of lawyers, O.J. Simpson. If you're a successful basketball player, if Kobe Bryant. If you're a successful anything, you hire people to work for you. Why are we pretending that it's any other way? And the church tells us, no, nah, go to school, be a doctor. Go to school, be a teacher. Be a teacher? When is the last time you ever heard of a teacher getting paid a million dollars a year to do anything? Yeah, I never heard that. <laughs> never. I ain't never heard that. So your daughter could be a great singer. She could do an album, get a, get a sign-on bonus for a, a million, and get a million dollars after that for her records. And you say, nah, baby girl, I think your voice is great, but you know what? You know, that singing is, is not really where it's at. You know, it may not last. Just, just go home and, and study hard and put in those hours and get those student loan debts and, and be 25-year-old with $25,000 in debt and work at the local CVS as a pharmacy tech. And, you know, maybe you'll get a husband one day and maybe you'll, you know, turn 65 and retire with half a million dollars in the bank. Why does that make any kind of sense, mathematical sense or career sense? The math doesn't add up. You should be trying to get the most money you can legally. And if that means you're a football player, and people are like, oh, well, you know, all these players, they only make it three years. But how much do they make in those three years? The average basketball player, top 10 recruit, gets 10, between 5 and 10 million. Draft, excuse me, 5 and 10 million for your first contract. So let's say you get $5 million for your first contract and you bust out of the NBA. You, you suck. You, you don't make the team, but you're guaranteed $5 million. Tell me a better option. Which lawyer is guaranteed $5 million at 20, 20 years old? I'm waiting to hear that one. Which doctor is guaranteed $5 million at 20 years old? I'm waiting to hear that. Um, I would like to add on, since you mentioned the rookie contracts in the NBA, and to add on to more to this conversation. Now, if you think about it, for the last few years, the rookie contracts now outweigh anybody that if they get and they get permanent contract in the NBA is now in the millions now. And one thing I will say this, since you know Paco, Masterpiece Sun got accepted to, uh, I think, a HBCU college, and he's going to get paid by uh, uh, what I call a tech, I think a tech firm. To um, It's like a tech firm is going to sponsor and give him money to pay basketball. You get me? And they're paying him $2.5 million while he's playing college. That's really awesome. That's so, awesome. and I'm going to tell you, the reason why these professions, college, football, basketball, especially basketball, I can't speak about football, but if football is falling suit eventually, and they probably have now, is that a lot of young players, 
I'm gonna just tell you honest. And the ba- and this is why I'm glad that certain young players that play certain basket. I mean, let me say this: <clears throat> certain young players that play basketball, they are not going through the regular college route now. Some of them now are now taking their talents overseas, playing a year, and coming back getting drafted. Hell, if you think about it, the last top draft picks now are people that are not from this country are overseas. One of them, Giannis Apatuko. He got drafted at 18, going 19 years old. He played for Greece. He did not serve one time in the United States um, basketball um, universities, which I think he could. Absolutely right. But, but, oh, yeah, he would have definitely and, been killing in college. He would have been cold and, and, in college. Yeah, and not only that, um, LaMelo Ball did not play in the the university. He played in Much State better Overseas. example. And, 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 Much and he better got, example. And, and, and he got drafted for um, almost, I think, third or second on the top um, overall picks. Yeah, top three. Top three, yep. Yeah. And another, per, another player did it. Let me tell you something. Another player did as well. And this player was the first one to do it before anybody else. Brendan Jenkins. He did this 14, roughly 13, 14 years ago. And he's from Compton. He did not play for a no college. He went straight to Euro to play one year, and then he got drafted pretty high. So if you think that Lamelo was the first one to do it and draft the high, no, it was Brendan Jenkins. He got drafted by the Milwaukee Bucks 14 years ago, which is the same Bro, team. I, I that, love basketball, and I'm yeah. with you on your, your – you are right. And, and, and I'm saying this is what we need to promote. We need to stop promoting this go-to-college – yeah. only idea go to so this is something i have to say before we take calls so we've been talking about this for a while this is really important this is key to my whole speech that i'm going to give in my first retirement first question so people are people are taking access they don't know why they're doing it so financial freedom first question why do you work this is what we have to start asking kids in in the senior year if not sooner why do you work you work to save up enough money for retirement Okay, second question, what is retirement? Retirement is a number, it's not an age. Retirement is a number, the number in which you have enough money in the account, in your account, where you don't have to work to make money. Third question, how do you get enough money to make money? Well, that's why these books talking about Rich Dad, Poor Dad, uh, The Richest Man in Babylon, all these financial freedom books, because you're supposed to invest your money. 50 years ago, where our parents were, thinking about back in the 50s, 1950s, actually 80 years ago, back in the 1950s, you get out of high school, you get one job, and your job will give you a pension. Pensions no longer exist. After pensions, you went to 401Ks. 401Ks are a way for you to save your money, for your money to grow, and then you retire. The problem with it is it takes 50 years to save up enough money in a 401K. So 401K a lot of people is not a scam. So 401K is absolutely a scam. I don't promote that, but we'll get to that later. But I'm just okay. saying to answer the question. All right, so 401k, but it takes too long. So these people are writing books, like Kiyosaki, writing books on how to invest your money at a younger age so that you can retire sooner. So when I say I'm going to be a motivational speaker in my first retirement, what I mean is I'm on track to retire 20 years, 15 years before I'm 60. Between 15 and 20 years before I'm 60, I'm, I'm, on, I'm on track to retire in the next five years. If I'm able to do that, I will still be young enough to work, but I won't be working so that I can live. Now I'll be working to enjoy my life. Now, the fourth thing on my, on my, my advice, 
work and get that retirement early so that you could do the job that you love. I don't do a job that I love. I have, I have merely once in my life done a job that I actually like doing. I do jobs that pay. I do jobs that pay me the most. That's why I'm a contractor. Because who's going to pay me the most is going to allow me to save that money, invest that money, and get closer to my retirement. A lot of people have big hearts, and they do jobs like teaching or nursing. Nursing is lucrative, but a lot of people have nursing jobs that isn't lucrative. There are lots of other jobs that people love to do that don't pay. My recommendation, don't do a job that doesn't pay. If you're going into college or into the military after you get out of high school, get a job that you can tolerate that pays you the most amount of money, the most amount of money. The more money you get, the sooner you get to retirement. If you can get to your retirement in your 40s or early in your 50s, heck, if you can get to your retirement in your 30s, you can go back to school and become, uh, excuse me, you can go into your second retirement where you don't work for money, you're working to enjoy your life, and you can be that teacher. You can be that nurse's assistant. You can be that librarian. You can be that thing that doesn't pay you, but it doesn't matter at that point because you've already retired. You already don't need the money. You've already retired. You can live your life and enjoy your life. And I personally think you'll enjoy your life more when you don't have to work versus when you have to work, but you're not making enough. All the teachers I had in my school, they, weren't, they, were, they were making ends meet best they could, but none of them were living the life. And they could have been, but they chose to do something they love versus something that pays money. This is what I tell my daughter. You get a job that pays. Get a technical job that pays. Get the most money you can legally, invest it, retire. Try to retire before you're 50. If you can do it before you're 40, even better. Get your first retirement. Now you have a second career where you're doing what you love and you've killed two. Now you're doing both things. You're also doing what you love, but you don't have to wake up every morning and answer to the man. You answer to yourself. That's the model I'm promoting. Why do we work? We work to retire. How do we retire? Retirement's a number. What job do we do? We do the job that pays us the most legally. That means if you're a football player, a basketball player, if you're a singer, a rapper, a dancer, get out there and get that money. Invest your money, retire, and then do what you love to do. Be the librarian or anthropologist. You know, there are a lot of people out there with big degrees who do things that don't make any money. You learn about that in Rich Dad, Poor Dad. There are lots of people out there who do important jobs that they love that don't make squats. If you're going to get a, uh, these, these, these uh, uh, bachelor's of arts degrees, these degrees in, in, in musical history or in the history of, of Greek letters or, or, or all of these other degrees that pay absolutely nothing, do that in your, after your first retirement. Your brain will still work just fine. You'll be able to go to school just fine. You don't have to be broke with student loan debt, which was this was about originally, and struggling to have a career. You can have a lucrative career, and you should be focused on getting the most lucrative career you possibly can fresh out of high school. Do it while you're young. Do it while you can go hard. Do it while you can put the most effort in, and then gradually slow down into that other career that's more fun, that's more relaxed, that you can enjoy more as a mature adult. That's my recommendation. Um, we got a, a comment question. Let me read it, see if you can answer this, Paco. This person wrote, what determines your success in life? That's an interesting question. And, uh, and this is, 
It's gonna, I'm going to take another jab at religion. Uh, people tell you that things are predetermined. Religion tells you that things are predetermined, that some magical being in the sky has decided what level of success you're going to have. And that fails people every time. That never works. You know, if that was true, Alexander the Great wouldn't have died before he conquered everything he wanted. Or, you know, the disciples wouldn't have gotten burnt at the stake before that they spread the word the way they wanted. And I don't even, <laughs> I won't even get into the fact that the disciples aren't real. You determine success in life. You determine. You have to set your goal, and you have to, det- and you have to follow through on, on the goals you set. You have to have standards that you live by. If you say that I want to be, back to the military, I want to become a E7. One of my friends said that. I asked him, why won't you get out of the military? I'm making good money as a contractor. We work together. You can get out and make money too. Heck, you're, you've got even more skill than I've gotten because you stayed in. He said, I don't want to get out because I have a goal to reach E7. And I can appreciate that. That's his success. He wants to reach E7, and he's going to stick around and put in the work and work hard until he gets to that E7. And shout out to all the people who just made E8. It just all the results just came out yesterday. But they're people, you have to determine your own success. Now, the success has standards that you may not determine. For example, if you want to be a doctor, you may not set the standard to become a doctor, but you may set the goal. You may set the, 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 the decision to become a doctor. And then meeting the standards to, to that success is up to you. So it's up to each individual. Now, a lot of people try to cheat and, 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 and be lazy and go, and go low-key and say, well, you know, I don't have much, but this is what I really want. And they're not telling the truth. And that's different. Being honest is important because you don't get to set the standard necessarily, but you do get to choose the goal. Doctor, lawyer, singer, rapper, musician, band player, you know, lots of things. And, and I'm talking about, I said a, a few minutes ago, it's all about money. When I say that, I don't mean that everyone has to be a multimillionaire. I'm not yet a multimillionaire. So clearly everyone doesn't have to be a multimillionaire. But if you're out here trying to lie to us and tell us that you're doing great in life where you're struggling with student loans and you've got the same car that you've had for eight years and you're bumming a ride to work, you're not successful. Success, we know what success looks like. And each person can be successful on their level. But there's a difference between accepting or, or, or letting yourself be less than your best versus doing your best and being best at what you do. If you're, if you're, the, if you're the best third grade middle school teacher and that's all you've ever wanted to be, I could respect that. That also means that you've got to be able to take care of all the kids you have as a third-grade middle school teacher. You've got to be able to pay your mortgage as a third-grade middle school teacher. But if that's what you want to be and you are that, you've made your success. But if you're failing at what you claim you want to do, you're not successful. So success is you choosing the goal, you reaching it through the standards that society has accepted. And I hope I, I, hope I answered the question clearly there. I, I also want to plug a book. I also want to plug a book real quick for a lot of people who, are, who don't want to do a lot of investing. I want to plug um, Dave Ramsey's book, Total Money Makeover. That's a very conservative, very straight-line budgeting book. It's very successful around the country. A lot of people need something more uh, conservative. If you're a conservative person, you need to use conservative money, um, conservative money ideals. You should get uh, 
Total Money Makeover by Dave Ramsey. He has a few other books. He has a podcast. He has videos. But the seven baby steps are magnificent. It's really, really good for people who are not good at budgeting, don't want to get into a lot of fancy stuff. They want the, the, the more bare-bones bare tactics. Total Money Makeover by Dave Ramsey. Shout out to my old lieutenant commander who sent me that book. Very helpful to me, even though I do investing, but I, I understand how useful that book is. You were going to say, brother. Yeah, um, I'm at Alonzo Hall, um, Blue Blazer, who does insurance. He has his own views about Dave Ramsey, which I'm not familiar with the, the this man. Um, but like I said, all books, like I said before, people, are for you to look at for yourself um, just for further research. And you must understand, people, there is no real line of success or how to be rich. See, you live in a capitalist world. The people that make the most money, they have to take from the, the low to get to become the high. Is it, you know how the stock markets or how you do when you sell stocks. You buy low, then you sell high. Same philosophy in all forms of capitalism. You get me? Um, let me finish reading these last few sections. I kind of want to end this part of the section. Um, let me more. Just get the rundown. As you know, I read the student loan debt by race and gender, and following down to it is uh, women hold, like I said, two-thirds of outstanding loan debt compared with men according to analysis and federal date by AAUW. There are little data available that includes gender non-conforming student borrows. One of the primary reasons women hold more debt is because they earn the majority of degrees at all levels from certifications to doctrine degrees according to federal data. By carrying greater amounts of debt is a problem since women by the large tend to have less earning power than men. Women with bachelor's degrees earn on the average 74 or what do call 74 cents on the dollar compared with men with the degree according to the U.S. Census Bureau. The largest average. I need you to stop right there, brother. I need you to okay. stop right there for one second okay. and make a real short comment. Okay, I know I'm the black male feminist. I yes. have an argument with people in, in, in the manosphere and outside the manosphere about if women, what women earn and, and what's going on. So you just read from the mm -hmm. shout out to the people who, who are uh, talking about this topic. You just read from the U.S. Census Bureau, a highly, highly credible authority on these, that women earn more degrees but women only make 74 cents on the dollar to their male counterpart. I yes. said that on multiple shows mm. to, to, to people who are arguing that if, if men and women are equal and they say, why do you, why do you need to be a feminist? Why does it matter? Women, women can do everything. Women can do things, but it doesn't mean that they're getting a fair shake. There, there should be no discrepancy between women earning and men earning for the same job. Now people say, well, you know, they're getting the same, but they have babies. That's irrelevant. I'm not talking about how many hours you work because we can't say how many hours each person works. We're not there. Some people could put it overtime. Some people can't, but you should be getting the exact same amount of money for your time of your counterpart. Hence the word counterpart. That means they're doing the same thing. Y'all have the same job with the same amount of years working together. Y'all should have the same salary and lots of women work with people, men specifically, and they don't get paid the same money for the same work. And that's the only argument. And you just mm. gave us evidence of women are not getting that, especially black women. They're not getting the same amount of money for the same job. And it should be there. I'm an advocate for women's rights for that specific reason, because I keep saying your money is your rights. 
Mm-hmm. Women don't have as much rights because they're not getting paid as much money, and some of that is unfair. Obviously, if you take off from maternity leave, it's different. But women aren't taking off every damn day from maternity leave. Mm-hmm. That's an irrational argument. It's not about having kids. It's about paying a person the same salary for the exact same job. Please continue, brother. Okay. And the large average debt loan are held by women who attend for-profit four-year schools about 44% more than women who attend public four-year institutions. Here's what student debt totals for women look like across types of four-year institutions, and it goes down as the following. The type of institutions, public four-year, private nonprofit four-year, for-profit four-year, and it says here from the across the board, public four years, mean debt borrowed by women, 29 thousand six hundred eleven private nonprofit four years thirty two thousand and eighty six hundred for profit four years forty two thousand seven hundred seventy eight so for profit four years is the most out of that private and public so for profit four years I think what's that for profit four years so for profit all those colleges that make money all those big time division one colleges like Alabama Ohio, all these big famous ones, the ones that are on, on TV playing sports, those are for-profit colleges. That's why they make, that's why they have so much money that we're arguing that you should give to the student athlete. They're for-profit. They're colleges that are not for-profit. Yes, they're colleges that don't have, a, they're not for-profit. So the, if you're a not-for-profit, you get taxed differently. If you're a for-profit, you get taxed differently. It's really tax-related uh, um, um, titles they're not really, they don't really mean anything in a larger process other than how they pay their taxes. It's just like a for-profit business versus a non-profit, a not-for-profit business. It's the exact same thing. All these colleges are businesses. So women are paying to these big-time famous for-profit colleges more money in loans because those schools charge them more because they're making money off of them, right? Now, what Not-for-profit schools charge less. Now, for profit four-year universities, is it the same university mm-hmm. that's like the top ten type, or is something? Well, they're not all top ten because you know the top ten changes, and the top okay. ten also is different. A different, it's a different criteria to be top ten. You could be the top ten uh, in a different sport, like the the top ten basketball schools are different from the top ten football schools. The top ten academic schools are different from the top ten. Um, each criteria is different for the top ten. So I don't think there is an there, there's, there's a non-official ranking of the best schools in the United States, but they're not official, and everyone doesn't agree on those rankings. Okay. The only thing that you really agreed upon is accredited and not accredited. That's what's really agreed upon. Accredited is standardized. You have to be accredited to be basically to be relevant. Now, a lot of these for-profit schools that get sued, they're illegal. They're not accredited. They're not providing their students with certain things. Our former president got sued and had his school shut down. It was a for-profit school, but it was a scam. So everything is, everything is not even killed. The basically, from what I understand, the most standardized rule is accreditation. Are you an accredited university or not? All the other things fluctuate because I looked at some schools that are ranked, who's the rank, who's the top school, top 10 this, top 10 that, and you can find many different lists. Everyone doesn't agree on the top 10 schools. 
it really depends on what specific top ten list you're looking for. Mm, okay, okay, okay. All right, thank you, thank you, thank you. As I go down the list, and it's almost done with the article, and I think I'm only going to read one article because I can go to the next article, but, you know, I already gone through this length, and you lay out more of the plan and solutions already, um, Dr. Black. So let me finish up this. Average student loan amount by debt type, and these are the debt types. Bachelor's degree debt, average debt, 28950 Graduate school loan debt, $71,000. Parent plus loan debt, $16,452. Law, I mean, law school debt, $145K with fine dollars. MBA. Good grace. Yeah, yeah. And right, there are some people that go into law school trying to get to be, um, uh, get their JD. But let me continue. Uh-huh. MBA student loan debt, 63, I mean, $66,300. I mean, $66, Medical school debt, brace yourself, $200,996. Please don't say that. Please yeah. don't say that. Say that again. Come on. Uh, Tell uh, me again. Uh, say it again, brother. Oh, say it again. All right. Medical school debt, $201,000 and 969, I mean, sorry, 490 hundred something You get me? And dental school debt. Bro, yo, this is crazy going through this. Yo, dental school debt. Now, these people who want to be a dentist, right? You know how much money you're going to be owing in debt? $292,169. Bucks. I need and, to say something about this. I need to say something on, about this. What, what, Pharmacy school loan debt, $179,514. dollars now, I know pharmacy was that expensive, but that's not a story. And here it goes with nursing school student loan debts. Listen, bro, they broke it down in three categories. Brace yourself. Associate degree in nursing, NDA, $9,928,000. Bachelor's in science in nursing, BSN, 23711 Master's of science in nursing, $47,321. And veterinary school debt. I think that's to be um, to Minister Health for Pets, right? Veterinary? I think that's what yep. Yeah, that's it. For animals. All kinds of animals. $183K and $302. And that's the end of this article. These are the, these are the lists. So out of the top list, the highest is dental school debt. And the second, okay, what I gotta say about and that? The sec- if you second don't mind. High, and the second highest is medical school debt. But go on, say just real like, quick. Yeah. This re- this relates to our earlier point, my earlier point specifically that you supported and helped me to to articulate. Mm-hmm. If you want to be any of those top things that you mentioned, dental, medical, uh, X-ray tech, all of that, all of those things are in the military. Now my sister got her RN. The military paid for that. And now she's an officer, so she's moving up to other qualifications from the emergency room and so on and so on. But as far as I know, the military has every one of those medical jobs and also the lawyer job, too. They have all of those in the military. Excellent. Yes, yes, because obviously you've seen there's a show, I think it's called JAG. JAG is a bunch of military. It's a TV show. JAG is a bunch of military 
uh, lawyers, and I think it's mostly Navy guys and, and gals. So all of those jobs, you can go to the military, and they will pay for you to be an official lawyer, doctor, nurse, RN, x-ray tech, dental tech, all of those things. And it's not a game. It will save you $200,000 damn dollars. $140,000, $96,000. What did you say? The, the one you just said, one of the, um, the nurses, you said the average was $23,000. Well, you're going to yeah, make more broken, than it's that. It's broken out in three, three categories. Nurses, right, nurses, right, right. It, it varies, yeah. Mm-hmm. There, are many, there are many versions of nurses. But you're going to make more than $23,000. Um, uh, 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 you're going to make a much more than $23,000 a year your first year as an E1 learning how to do the same thing versus paying that $23,000 to a school to teach you it. Why not go to the military, learn how to do it and get paid that 23. What would be better getting paying someone to do something or getting paid to do the same thing? I don't think that's arguable. Yeah. So I'm not saying that the military is perfect. There are lots of problems with the military, but we're talking about financial freedom. We're talking about getting your education and also the best way to do that while getting to financial freedom. My, my recommendation, my research, my math has shown that your four-year, three- to five-year sacrifice to your own country as a patriot, getting paid for that sacrifice and getting your education is superior to the traditional way of going to college, losing all that money, getting into student loan debt for 20 years, and being behind the eight ball. We haven't even talked about how student loan negatively affects people because it kind of goes without saying, but if for nothing else, let's just mention purchasing a home. Student loan debt steals. It, 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 student loan debt is a parasite on your ability to purchase a home because you yep. can't get qualified with that student loan debt hanging over your head. Not to mention you can't save as much. You have to put that down payment down. You got to put that. down to purchase that house. Well, you're not going to be able to save that $20,000 to purchase your home, even if you have a good job, because you're paying every month to the student loan debt. My wife and I are on our third home, excuse me, our second home, my third home, and part of the reason we're on that many homes is because we don't have any student loan debt. Every time we go apply for a home, we don't have any student loan debt to negatively affect our application process, not to mention the VA, yet another benefit of being in the military, the VA, I talked about it earlier, the VA home loan benefit, where you as a veteran have zero down on a house, zero down. You just saved $20,000 just by going to the military if you want to buy a home. You just saved it. You don't have to pay any money down to buy a home as a veteran. And I don't think people know this or pay attention to it or consider it when they're talking about, I don't know, the military is not for me. What about not paying any money down on the house is not for you? I'm confused. <laughs> what about not paying to go to Alabama or LSU? Or my daughter wanted to go to LSU, and I looked at it. It was $34,000 a month, excuse me, a year out of state. $34,000 a year out of state. My daughter went to the military now. So if my daughter wants to go to LSU now, whatever the cost is irrelevant because she doesn't have to pay it. What's wrong with saving $34,000 a year? Isn't that a good thing? That's a great for the small sacrifice yeah. of joining the military and doing your four years, do something that's non-combative if you're scared of getting hurt and killed. Obviously, I, I made that choice too. I didn't want to get shot at. I went to the Navy. 
and I chose a job that had nothing to do with weapons. I did great. If you're in that same position, choose a job that's not violent. But why choose to go the traditional route that's not working for Americans when you have choices? The people who don't qualify for the Navy, uh, for the military, I'm not talking to you. I understand you don't qualify. But for the millions upon millions upon millions of other people who do qualify, I think it's time to reconsider. Make better choices. Only 1% of the U.S. population actually is active duty military. So only 3 million people protect 300 million people. There's room for you guys in the military. We can have a a larger percent of of people in the military than 1%. We could be scary and go to a whole maybe 1.5. What if we do 2%? There's room for you. We could instantly erase student loan debt by just serving three to five years because the average single contract is between three to five years. Your first year you sign up, you're going to sign up from between three to five years. That's why I keep saying that. I think that's worth $200,000 in, in student loan debt to become a lawyer. What about you? I think it's a great idea, and it's something that because we live in hard times, majority of people, because let's be honest, the young girls or young women are already in the military. And I want to see our boys getting it just as much as the women. And not to say that this is a competition because, let's be honest, the military is kind of lenient in regards to the fitness tests and stuff. But I could see in down the line now that that's going to change. And the reason why I say it now because, let's be honest, um, Paco, I have no problem with women serving in some parts of the military. But if, you want, if you're a nation and you want to be protected and survive in the coming years or the coming future wars, which they will be, I always look at other militaries, and I'm saying that there's still a good majority of men. And you cannot base your military just by women alone and very little men and hope that you're not going to get invaded by another more Yo, strong. So let me, let me make something clear. You're absolutely okay. right, but let me make something clear about yeah. that. Yeah. I'll not, not make something clear. Let me remind you. Okay. One to five percent of the military does combat. One to five percent of the military. I'm, I'm not saying that's an accurate number. I'm saying mm-hmm. based on my observation, that's a that's an estimate on my personal estimate. One to five percent of them. I just came back from Afghanistan, so I could see it. One to five percent of the military actually does combat. Okay. So okay. that's why they've been. That's why there's rules to keep women out, and and you could keep women out of combat because combat is a specific area in the military. Everyone does not do combat. The Air Force, mm-hmm. the majority of them don't do combat, even though they have security forces. The Navy, mm-hmm. the majority of them don't do combat, even though they have Navy SEALs. The Army itself, the combat entity, the Army, mm-hmm. maybe only 10 or 20% of them do combat because they have all the infantry people. But that's not the whole Army. All those, there's over a million soldiers. They're not all in combat. They're not all in combat jobs. They have to have people who do logistics and people who drive trucks and people who do tracks and people who cook and people who, who, who organize and manage and do, and do you know, maintenance on all the vehicles. Everyone doesn't do combat. So mm-hmm. your concern for the women is equal to other people's concern about joining. Mm-hmm. Just because okay. you're in the military does not mean you do combat. A combat is a specific job that you have to qualify to do like every other job. Just like everyone's not an officer, everyone's not a a captain, everyone's not a pilot, everyone's not in combat. It's a job that you have to qualify to do. If you have weak vision or if you have shaky hands, no one's going to give you a gun. That that makes sense, doesn't it? 
Makes a lot of sense. <laughs> so there's a job for the lady. There's a job for the men. There's a job for everyone if you choose to investigate and find your spot. And to me, I think it's worth it for you to make that choice to save yourself on student loan debt. That's the topic of this show. That's what I'm going to keep reverting to. It's all an attempt to help you to reach financial freedom. That's what I'm supporting. That's what I'm promoting, financial freedom. Yes, Don't get yes, bogged sir. down with student loan debt. And you can do it as a man or a woman. You yes. can do it as a person who wants to get into combat or a person like me who does not want to get into combat. There's room for all of us. Okay. Okay. Well, let me take the first caller. I know one call dropped. Let me open the line. So I kind of want these guys waiting. All right. Caller one. I open your line. Who am I speaking to? Sarge here. How you doing, Gary? Uh, how you doing, Sarge? The one, the man of the hour, the soldier, the Sarge. Hey, Paco, this is Sarge. This man served military as well. <laughs> What's going on, Sarge? Uh, relax Good now. You know, I'm always respectful of your guest, Gary. Yes, yes. Go ahead. Again. All now, right. first of all, I'd like to, just so you understand where I'm coming from, sir, I spent four years on active duty in the United States Army. I was a, uh, Airborne Ranger trained, mechanized infantry squad leader. I was a tank commander with another unit. And when I got out of that, I was sent to Germany. I was on the Fulda Gap, waiting for the Warsaw Pact to invade through the Czechoslovakian Fulda Gap. Then after that, they sent me to Fort Knox to be a tank gunnery instructor. It was the best job I ever had in my life. When I got out of the Army, I was 22 years in the Illinois Army National Guard, mainly with military police battalions. I caught called up for the first Gulf War. I went there. They called me up for Operation Iraqi Freedom. I went there. Now, I'd like to say I am really glad to hear you extolling the virtues of the United States Armed Forces as an avenue to better yourself, particularly for black people. I think the United States Army, I learned everything of importance that I know in my life because of my experiences in the United States Army. It was the best education of my life. Believe me, I wouldn't trade it for anything to include the combat and including the, the regrettable memories of the 19 buddies of mine I got on that wall in Washington, D.C. But I got to say this. I heard you saying about you don't have to worry about combat if you don't want to go. And I understand that. And the reason people say that now is because it's simple. The United States Armed Forces has not faced an enemy that can defeat us on the battlefield since 1950, and that's in the first year of 1950. We haven't faced an enemy like that since. Now, to give you an example of not being allowed to make a choice of whether or not you go into combat, I would refer you. I just got through reading a book about the Ardennes Defenses, the Battle of the Bulge. They had over 150,000 men who were in the Armed Forces Special Training Program. They were trained to be radar technicians and air crew and all kind of technical jobs. They weren't supposed to be ground pounders in combat. But when they started taking uh, casualties in the rifle companies, that were up to 600% in many of those units. Let me say that again. 600% in the rifle companies and the rifle battalions, they combed out everybody in the rear area and they sent them to the front. Because they can do that. Doesn't matter what your MOS is. If they need you when the enemy makes a breakthrough, you got to go. And that's what they did in the Ardennes in particular when the Germans made a breakthrough on an 80-mile front and penetrated 60 miles on their way to Antwerp. All kind of rear area units getting called up for combat duty. Now, see, we're not used to that anymore because that hadn't really happened since then. 
maybe the first year, 1950, in Korea. And we keep fighting these units. Even in Vietnam, which I was in, the enemy was simply not capable of defeating us on the battlefield. As a practical matter, never. So we don't have any, any memorized experience with this. There's a movie that I would recommend anybody to see, because it's one of the best movies ever made about World War II, 12 O'Clock High, starred Gregory Peck. He goes and inherits this bomber unit, the 918th Bomb Group, and they got lousy morale. They've taken horrific casualties, and they're all feeling sorry for themselves. And, they, you know, and, they're, and they're really bad, bad morale. He's a brigadier general. He's coming to these, his mission is to turn this unit around. He gets up there, gets on the stage, and tells them, I want you men to stop thinking you're going to live. Think of yourselves as already dead, and then you can deal better with the job you're going to have to get to. No commanding officer today could ever, ever say that to an American unit today, or he'd get fired and relieved from his command. But back then it was common. It was not unusual. See, this is what I say. We've got to tell the truth about the armed force, including the totality of it. I think the armed force is much better for anyone who goes into it than it will harm them. Sure, it's going to harm some people. For the overwhelming majority, it's going to be the best experience of their lives. It will help them build character, and it will make them grow. But we've got to tell the truth. The reason we have an army, the reason we have an armed forces is to fight, to to engage, close with, engage, and destroy the enemy. There's no other reason to have it, none. Not for jobs or anything else. And we got to tell them the final analysis, that's the reason they're going in. Can I comment right. on that? Yeah, make a Can comment. I comment? Go ahead. Go ahead. Go Real ahead. quick. I appreciate that, uh, that young man uh, coming in with his uh, point of view and talking about how the Army was. So I'm here to talk about how the Army is, not even the Army as much as the military because I wasn't in the Army even though I've been – working with them for the last three years in Afghanistan. But how the military is today is, like he said, his own admission, nothing like it was. People are not going into the military today to die for anything. We don't have hand-to-hand combat, ground combat like we used to, which is, once again, what he said. These are the points that he made. I'm just admitting, agreeing with him. The future wars that America is going to fight are cyber wars. We're not going to die and drones, in too. cyber wars. We're already yeah. doing the drones. The drones was Obama's thing. Obama okay. made drones front and center. It was his, Obama thought to himself, I can save lives by using drone attack, and he was heavily criticized because drones shoot real missiles, and when those missiles explode, they, they cause casualties. So Obama said, I'm saving American lives, but he's not saving all lives because every, for one, every one Taliban person he took out, three or four of their family members and, and, and civilians. We're past drones. We have so many different versions of drones, as we should. Mm. But, the, but the enemy has decided, the people who want to be our enemies have decided, that outside of guerrilla warfare, which is why uh, President Biden pulled us out of Afghanistan, guerrilla warfare, we learned from Vietnam that we suck at guerrilla warfare. Whoever the bigger target is is going to lose in guerrilla warfare. So he's tired okay. of us getting pop shots here and there. Even in Afghanistan, it's not a jungle at that point. It's mountains, and they just pop little shots at us and try to take us out one at a time, and they live there, so they'll, they'll take 20 years to do it if they can. Well, that's, that's, a, that's not good when you're, a larger, when you're the larger army. So Biden says, we'll go back home, we'll recalibrate, and we'll fight them where it's an even battlefield, which is what every leader tries to figure out, how to have an even battlefield, even playing field. Well, look at recent, this year, 2021. 
We've had four or six cyber attacks. And the generals are saying this shooting at someone with a rifle is becoming obsolete. We gotta learn how to shoot with a computer. We gotta learn how to shoot with a with a high tech computer. With we've gotta do the war on cyberspace because that's what's shutting down the oil tanks and made everybody's oil prices go up uh three months ago. That's what that's what caused them to have these um ransom ransomware rounds so all of that is what's really going on that's the battlefield it, it, you, i know it's a movie but we mentioned this in the 80s terminator one mm. the ai software goes online and shoots missiles and kills all the people that creates uh, robots to, to finish off the rest we've got to protect against that we are the one of the three or four countries with nukes if someone could to, could tap into hack. our and we've had yeah, hack. tons hack, hacking your database hack. yeah if we could, we've had tons of movies that talk about this, Mission Impossible, this and 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 Terminator, all these. Other, it could happen. Oh, don't so forget, um, Live Free and Die Die Hard was there a recent go. movie um, over a decade ago. When when one guy talked about the cyber, and let me stop one, one just to add um to briefly briefly Paco. One thing I know because I talked to Keep It Techie because he does IT, and he said that there are certain things that this year in the IT field because it doesn't really pay much depending on who they um they contract to, but it is now slowly but surely becoming a problem where they don't have enough people to fill these seats because everything is done so computerized now that people that know how to code, which are mostly overseas, that's already ahead of the game besides certain Americans. Because remember, let's be honest, the people that know how to code are making billions of dollars off these apps. They're a very small minority, but majority of Americans are not really brushed um on on things, especially latest things, like outside America, especially Indians and Asia, especially the bill, um, the deals that Biden did with um because what China and them were doing right now, stealing some information stuff. From what I'm hearing, might I respond to what your uh, guest just said? Yeah, you can go ahead. Now I'm gonna pocket. All right, they have been predicting the end of infantry combat since the end of World War II. They said the nuclear weapon made infantry and ground arms essentially obsolete. They said the same thing in Korea, the same thing in Vietnam. They're pretty much saying the same thing in Afghanistan and Iraq, and as you can see, still need infantry to hold ground, take ground, hold ground, even if they give it up. Uh, you notice in the Terminator, you had lots of infantry. Even though the Terminator was still, he had Skynet, and Skynet was taking out everything, you still had mounds and lots of infantry, because the only arm that can hold ground is infantry. Still today, despite the high tech, despite the computers and everything else. Now, I will grant your point about the cyberspace and cyber warfare. It is every bit as revolutionary as air superiority was. Every bit as. But they said that was going to render infantry essentially obsolete, and they were completely wrong. I mean, I'm sitting down there being ambushed by NVA battalions, and there were air over me dropping napalm and wiping them out by the hundreds, and they still kept coming. And it's going to be the same thing in the future war with our major opponents we're likely to see in a conventional ground battle. That is China and Russia. And they have large conventional armies that will be for the first time since 1944 capable of defeating us on the battlefield. Remember when it's on the battlefield, not because we decided to cut and run because we're tired of the war. And when Vietnam went down, it wasn't a guerrilla war. I looked at tanks 
T-54 and T-55 tanks knocking down the fences of the presidential palace. It was a conventional army with a conventional blitzkrieg with self-propelled artillery, mechanized infantry, and tanks that defeated South Vietnam, not black pajama guerrillas. That's what you've got to worry about. That's what we're going to have to face, and it's going to be the same thing in the future. And the fact that there's going to be cyberspace and that there's going to be a lot of aerial drones and satellites from outer space, what's going to happen is the units are going to have to be learn, learn how to fight without as much centralized command and control. When they're out of communication, they're going to have to know how to handle themselves and still be able to close with the enemy and get logistical support. That's what they are training for now. For the fact when cyber does take over and alter the battlefields at will, none of it is going to obviate the need for infantry. They'll be in mechanized, they'll be under armor. There'll be a lot more mechanized infantry than there are light infantry, but they're still going to be there. And so will armored vehicles because nothing else can survive on the battlefield. Take firepower to where it needs to be and hold ground. That's the key here. Hold ground. The Chinese know it. The Russians know it, and they're our most likely enemies in a future conflict. All right, thank so you, Sarge. I want to say you. that I still agree with him. I, I didn't say that he was wrong. I didn't say that yeah. you're not going to be any – I didn't say there won't be any infantry. No one in their right mind, and, and I could tell he was an infantry guy because of his, his passion, no one in their right mind argues the value of infantry. I didn't join the Army – because I didn't want to be in the infantry. I don't want that job. There are people who have to do it. But I gave some numbers about the percentage. The infantry, and I would like, if he knows the exact number, based on my estimation, the infantry is 1% or 2% of the whole military. Excuse me, the whole army. It's less than 1% of the whole military, but it's 1% or 2% of the army. How much, what percentage of the whole army and everyone who's in there is an infantry person? So I'm not saying that the infantry isn't important. I'm not saying that they don't have to stick around forever. I'm saying that if you join the military today, you don't have to be in the infantry. That's not a requirement. There's four branches, and the infantry is only one branch in one branch. The other three branches don't have infantry, and you can do thousands of jobs in the military if you don't want to be a fighter. There are people who are warriors. They're going to be infantry, and we support them. We need them. But the well, other people the aren't rivals about 15% of the army right now. And you've got to remember that um, when it comes to uh, the army, remember, I said a unit, an army capable of defeating us on the battlefield, making breakthroughs in the line. If it happens, everybody who is available will be sent to stem the breakthrough. If they break through the regular infantry, the rear area personnel will be expected to function as infantry, even though that's not their job. They are soldiers. They will be yes, ordered to fill agreeing. in the gap. Yes, sir. And yes, this sir. is the point, I'm trying, I'm the point I'm trying to make. The point I'm trying to make is they will be told they've got to fight. It doesn't matter what they want in the Army to be. But we agree. I agree with you. But the rest of us who aren't in the Army won't have that problem, will we? And we're a lot more of us outside of the Army than in the Army because the Army, mm-hmm. that, that's my point. If you want a job, you're going to do your job. If you risk going to the Army, you may have to do some stuff. But that's such a huge – you said it hasn't happened until 1950, so the risk is diminishing, diminishing, diminishing. You're, uh, you're, well, we've got your new opponents, down. Russia and China. Okay, sir, those, those countries weren't created yesterday. They've been around. 
Did you look at the list? Let me let me give you a quick list uh, for everyone who's listening who cares about. Yeah, give them a quick list, Paco, so you know. A quick list. A quick list. They're, they they list all the all the militaries in the world. So the top 15 militaries: the United States, China, um, Russia, UK. The United States on the list of one to 15. The United States military takes up spots one through nine. Think about that. Spots one through nine. I'm talking specifically about the Navy and the naval capabilities. Takes up spots one through nine. Then the second military in the world is China with one aircraft carrier and UK with one aircraft carrier and Russia with zero. They have U-boats and, t- and, and a couple submarines. So when you're talking about competing with the military, the U.S. military in, 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 in combat, there's a there's a huge range. Now other people have bigger armies, but your army has to come across the water to see us. You're not going to get across the water because the US Navy has thirteen aircraft carriers. The next country has one. We have thirteen aircraft carrier groups. I was on the USS Roosevelt. Protecting the United the United States of America starts with owning the seas. We own the air and we own the seas. This conventional war is far, far, far from being a face-to-face combat. There's a lot that China and Russia have to do. The Russian economy can't even boost, build itself up. That's not the immediate – all I'm saying is that's not the immediate threat that those countries pose to us. China and Russia don't pose a physical army threat to us immediately. They, they pose an immediate cyber threat, and, and we're dealing with that right now. And, and we need people to go in there – and join that fight. And if you're and if you're scared of getting shot, be more concerned of how you're going to help in the cyber war than in a physical combat. That's all my point is, sir. Well, China looks poised to invade Taiwan. Their logistical train is a lot shorter than ours. As you well know, amateurs study tactics and professionals study logistics. And uh, with a shorter logistical train, we've got a bigger problem getting our forces there, plus this with the most, especially since the Army is only 10 divisions all told. That's 10 divisions. That's three corps. That's barely one full Army. When you consider what they have to go up against with the Chinese, numbers make up a great deal of that cyberspace or no. So I'm just saying there's a lot to be considered here. We're looking at potentially a move by the Chinese on Taiwan. It's right in their backyard. We don't have the forces available. They're certainly not in Korea anymore. We've got one division over there, one division. They have at least I did not go to West Point. I need to make this disclaimer. I didn't go to West Point. I didn't even serve in the Army. I am not an expert on military tactics. I am not. Okay. I, have, okay. I do have a friend who went to West Point. I have yeah. just came from Afghanistan with a lot of Army people. I have learned from what they told me. I, I keep agreeing with you, sir. You are right about what you're saying. And I hope that other people can enjoy our conversation. All have I'm saying is that oftentimes really? combat Sarge. is not an option. You're oftentimes ordered to go into it whether you do or not. Sarge, let me ask you a question. What, what, what branch you serve again, bro? United States Army. So, and you left that for the last 40-some years, maybe, uh, maybe roughly, roughly 50, 50 years? years of service, total 26. I left the, Ar- uh, the Army National Guard in 2004 after Operation Iraqi Freedom. Oh, so you you you've been away from the army for almost uh, twenty years now. Okay, um, like I said, Paco's only expert to his own 
knowledge. So in regards to tactics, um, I'm not sure how well versed you are at tactic wide because you serve in the army. But I will take your word for it for now, Sarge. Um, you know me. This is not really focused too much on military and stuff because the whole purpose of the stream is debt and religion. But I kind of like your insight in regards, you know, the threat of uh, a bigger danger. I just danger want people ahead. to know that if they go in the armed forces, you got to be prepared to accept anything. I mean, anything. Well, you may not be removed from combat because circumstances will depend on whether or not you got to fight. Well, this is my thing, Sarge, because I'm going to drop you down a little bit, is any form of training, I don't care what branch of military you serve, Navy, Air Force, Army, etc., that... A person always keep in mind you are serving this country or any military branch. So if people feel and think that the reason why they want to enlist or try to apply for the army or just the um the military because of fret of death, this is my think as a man. That most young youth, I'm sorry says anybody over the age eighteen or, or, or over, are pussycats. And Right now, in this environment you are as a black person, you got to think on how you're going to survive this environment, this new environment that is already here and it's not going to go away. So if you're a person that don't know what to do, I think considering the military or any other three branch of stronger um, institutions will be the next best thing. And you're going to have to get the, out your mind the fear of death. And I'm going to say this personally, and thank you, Sarge, because I'm not – where are you, Sarge? Thank you, Sarge. I'm going to say this. Our women are not in the military, and they're growing. So that should tell you as a man that it should not be an excuse that you need to put yourself in the best position of power as possible. I don't want to hear about no excuse that you're going to afraid you're going to die. That's what you want to do. So if you're afraid that, then you're going to have to sit there have two options. Either you're going to work up to 65 years old and hope that it's a, a retirement, which is not because Social Security is going to be eat up in the next 14 years, 2034. Let me repeat, 2034 is when Social Security will be obsolete. The people that's reaping, um, reaping the wars of retirement and the Social Security pension and all this stuff are people that were born in the mid or early 40s. After you, after you're born in 1960 or whatever, you're not gonna get that money. People that are born in 19, either 1945 up to 1959, you might get and click in retirement. But after that, depending on how you set your life up, who you work for, and whoever's allocating your money, there's not going to be no money. So I want black people to get out of the illusion that you work for somebody for so many years and all this stupidness, that there's going to be money left over for you. No. So you're going to have to find ways to get, I don't want to say this, Either you're going to get rich or die trying in America. Because now this thing we call middle, lower, and upper, that was a creation. The middle class was a creation, black people. I want, to hear, I want you to understand me and listen to me good. And all Americans, this was a creation. And it was only supposed to be for temporary after World War II. And they decided to say you're going to get as much possible if you serve a certain branch of institution. Now we're in a time and place now where now your government is saying that fuck y'all, fuck your feelings, I need my I need this bag. And I'm here to get your bag and you're gonna hold the empty sack. 
They're not here designed to help and feed all 300 and some million Americans. Right now, we're going to have people evicted in the, com- in, the com- in the next week or so because the money dried up. Are you still there, Paco? Are you used? All right, relax. Yeah. So well, I'm still here, brother. I'm agreeing with you. Okay. All right, hold on. Let's relax. Let me finish. So we got to get serious here. And mind you, I didn't like talk about this student loan debt. I talked about it two years ago. And I already foreseen what is already here and what's going to be in the next coming years and maybe decade or so coming. So you as young male or female, especially if you're a black person, you have some conscious decisions to make. The information that you hear tonight is supposed for you or your parents or anybody that goes back to this playback, which is going to be on my channel, for you to listen, digest, and make a conscious decision. I'm not telling you how you're supposed to live. I'm telling you what it is, where, it's, where, where we're at, and where we're going. And I'm telling you right now, when people worry about saying that so-called black people are going to be um, in 1950, I mean 2053 are going to be permanent underclass, all this nonsense, you always got to think in your mind as a black person, how are they going to fulfill this self-fulfilling prophecy or make you permanent? They already say you're permanent right in this decade now, from last decade going on this one. So what's going to happen now, 30 years from now? It won't look good for you unless you take action now. The best safety a black person could take right now if you're a male is to find yourself any institutional power. Anything less you do out here, you're going to fall and run in the risk of getting student debt, which you're not going to be paid up, and you're not going to pay up because it was designed for you to get in debt and stay in debt. Because the more you're in debt, you cannot operate in a capitalist society. Debt is slavery. When they brought our ancestors from different parts of the world, especially in Africa, and we were brought as debtors to sit there, serve, and work for 20, 40, whatever years for free, while everybody else gets fucking rich. And this is real fact. And they never changed that script for the last 150 or more years now. Everybody else wants to make money off this community. And they're going to. That's why you see the data of the Asians and Hispanics that don't pay. You know why? Because they got their little small business in our communities siphoning the resource off their struggling community. That's not no surprise. That was by design. Because every minute you make your money, depending if you work a job or something, you get, you get paid Friday and you might, you might most likely go broke on Monday. That's something that, that should be discussed why we're going broke by Monday. I'll tell you why. Because we are not in any institution that's protecting us and where our wealth is going, our money is going. You're constantly living check to check. And it's going to be a point now because this gig economy, those check to check, is going to be eventually over. So you have some decisions to make as a young person and a person that has decided what you're going to do with your future. I'm not sure if I'm going to keep doing shows on this about student loan debts, but I'll tell you one thing. This is the only show and may possibly last show I'm going to talk about this. You get me? After this, the information is out there in the internet. You search for it. As long as my channel exists, with this talk, with the help of um, Paco, I think we educate y'all enough. Just by the one article, and I haven't read the second article that talks more, and it goes in more detail of certain institutions that you get in debt for. 
But you did great with the first article. It broke it down a lot. That's a great yeah, but there's another, there's another article that goes in more depth and detail. But, you know, I'm not going to stay long tonight with this because, you know, I, I was hoping to deal with religion. But, you know, like I said. But anyway, the point is this. The information is laid out. Is your decision as a person making the decision what you're going to do with your life moving forward in this new century? In. This is the first 20 years of the 21st century. All you're going to see moving forward is going to go downhill. All the fears, tactics that you didn't know about or what is going to be here next 10, 15 years, don't believe in the conspiracy fears. Keep that in mind that always keep in mind it could possibly be true and I need to take action. I should not bank on what they're saying, this is what's going to happen to us in the next 10 or 15 or 20 years. I should assure that they did this just to give you a wake-up call. And right now, a lot of black people are getting a wake-up call now. It's going to be very much a cold winter this year for a lot of people, especially women. Besides men, I don't know. Because, you know, men, if you don't work, you go, you go homeless. So I can't say much about men. So, like I said, if you're a young person and you're still figuring it out, I would say figure out as fast as possible. Or And while you do that, try to put yourself in these institutions. Read the Great Faulkner Initiative if you're a black person. I would say you know what I'm saying? if that's, you're a young That's your person, only direction. Go ahead. I would say if you're a young person, join the military and get paid while you figure it out, because that's what I told my daughter. My daughter is trying to figure out what she wants to be, with her, what she wants to be in her life, what career she wants. But while she's figuring that out, which is what everyone does, right? After high school, you're figuring out what you're going to commit to, what career you're going to take. Mm-hmm. While mm-hmm. she's figuring out, she's getting paid by the, by, the, by the military to figure it out. She's learning a skill in the military that she wouldn't learn at home while she's figuring it out. So when she's a little older, five years from now, when she's a little older and she's figured out who she wants to be and she starts to make that commitment, she'll have money to figure it out because this is a capitalistic society, like you said, and you need to have your mm-hmm. coins. Figuring yes. out while you're broke, trying to make ends meet, that pressure is, is pushing you to fail. Yeah. You can't figure it out broke. You can't figure it out on an empty stomach. You can't fig- That's why people start selling drugs and stuff, because we know inherently you can't figure it out on an empty stomach. My daughter's not going to figure it out on an empty stomach. She's mm-hmm. going to figure it out in the biggest, the biggest gang in the world, the U.S. military, with the most support and getting paid while she's doing it. And I think a lot of other people are smart enough to make that choice, and, and, and they should make that choice to have that infrastructure, figure out, I'm agreeing with you. Go into an institution. There's so many aspects of the military that people don't know, and, and, and there's, a, there's room for you there for anyone who's trying to figure it out. There's room for you there. Yes, you've got to make a sacrifice. You won't get to move as freely as you like, but when do you? How freely do you move when you don't have a place to live? How freely do you move when you don't have a car, you can't pay your car, no, you don't have gas to put in a car? How freely are you? You're not that free. How free are you when you're in college? But you've but you got to come into the dorm at, at curfew. You're not that free, so why do we pretend like everything else is free? But the military, you're not. We all have regulations, rules, guidelines that we have to follow. The point is, are you getting your, your, your ROI on that, your return on investment? You invest all your time in the college, what do you get? Student loan debts and no job. Maybe there's a better way to do it. What's, we got another caller? We got any more callers out there? Um, no, but I think we kind of hold our stance tonight. We did a very long stream. I thought we was going to do like an hour and some minutes, but it was longer than that, Paco. So I think we said enough on the debt part. 
out of the religion side, and I don't know if we're going to touch religion tonight, Paco. I don't think you have the energy to talk about religion, or you want to say that for future shows. Because yeah, we we'll, to... we'll save that. We'll save that because you know we're gonna we're gonna post this, and people are gonna yeah. watch as much as they can. So let's not let's not tempt their patience yeah. by making it any longer. We did we did we did what we came here to do. Yeah, we did. We did. We did. Yeah, we talk about that. I'm a, and like I said, the subject is going to change. So, you know, as you know, the title will be more focused on the debt. No religion tonight, guys. So religion will be keep – I would say religion will survive tonight. Next time when I when we, when I have this discussion with Park, we're going to deal fully on religion. You know, for all you atheists, all you Buddhists, you, all you religion, three heads of the religion. We got you covered next time, all right? So in closing, um, any closing remarks on Paco? Yes, sir. Just my just my my basic marks that I was trying to my my four or five points that I was trying to make at the beginning, or my my core points. One, why do you work? You work to save up enough money so you don't have to work anymore. Because the most valuable thing in the universe is your time. You go into the workforce to trade your time for money because your employer doesn't have enough time to do everything himself. So he pays you some of your time with his money or her money if she's a female employer. So the most valuable thing is time. You trade your time for money. So working, the point of working is to get that time back. So you work to retire. Retirement is an age, not a number. Excuse me. Retirement is a number, not an age. How much money you have in the bank allows you to retire where you don't have to give your time to your employer anymore, where you are your only employer, where you get to decide what you do with that most valuable thing in the universe called time. The way you get there is by investing your money. So when you start working at 18, 19, some of you smart people or uh, you hardcore people are working and younger than that, you're putting all that money away, but you're not saving it, you're investing it so that you can get to that retirement as soon as possible. I recommend that you do a job that pays you the most money legally instead of doing a job that you love because if you retire early, then you can have the time to do what you love later. You're not going to be dead. Retirement isn't 70 years old. You could be 40 years old. That's a good, healthy, young, early retirement. And then you could be a ballet dancer, maybe not a professional one, but you could be a ballet dancer. You could be a pianist. You could be a traveling musician. You could be, you could be a teacher. You'd be a damn good teacher at 40 years old. You're not too old to be a teacher at 40, but you would be a much happier teacher, a much better, well-rounded teacher if you don't have to worry about that low income that teachers get because you've already established yourself, you paid off your house, you paid off a couple of cars, you've, you've got money in that bank account that's giving you back your time. So those are the keys that I'm, I'm suggesting. Get to that retirement as early as possible, and to that end, you join the military, eliminate student loans, which is the second, um, the second um, highest thing that causes bankruptcy in America, and, and <clears throat> get out there and be your best. That's what it's all about, financial freedom. Read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Read The Richest Man in Babylon. Read, um, I know for, for you conservatives, read Total Money Makeover by Dave Ramsey. Read uh, Money Power the Game. <clears throat> There's lots of financial books out there, lots of gems in each of them. Everything doesn't have to be 100% for you, but the more knowledge you get, the better you can, you can figure out your path. The whole point is to get that early retirement. And that's it. Yes, people. And my closing remarks, um, this was educational purpose. Um, and also, the role of Chaos Reign, and I always never say this in the beginning of all my broadcasts, I'm here 
to raise your attention span. They said the average attention span of a human being is less than five seconds. That is no good. You cannot absorb or learn or get anything from what you hear that is tangible that you could use right now in your life under five seconds. So I'm here to make sure your attention exceeds much greater than three seconds because God knows your attention gets further watching and listening to nonsense, watching love and hip-hop, watching um, sports sometimes. Well, sports is good, but only sometimes. And watching things that entertain you. I'm here to remove that entertainment and put you on things that really is important and relevant to your life. And it's information like this. Student loan debt, besides religion, but really this whole focus of the show is the debt side of things, is that you should understand what you're getting into, what is debt, not just student loan, but debt entirely, and know it is another form of slavery. And you as a human being of any age should not put yourself in any form of slavery, including student loan debt especially, because that is one of the benchmarkers to keep you financially crippled and potentially not be able to move up in society. And trust me, the people that got real debt, they're able to write that off easy of bankruptcy. But when you take on student loan debt, it is very difficult to write that off. Matter of fact, it's impossible now because now they have a way for you to really expunge your debt. Your present will not save you and expunge your debt. New or old presents, they will not touch it because they know it's another form of slavery and it's another way to pocket them and other institutions. And they got some called debtor's prison now, which is slowly on the rise, people, that if you're not keeping up with them payments, you will do time in jail. They slowly are bringing that back. Don't think they're just going to leave that out. They're going to bring it back because $1.9 trillion in student debt, that is far exceeding the almost like the roughly average of this country, which is now $25 trillion. They can't afford more than, I would say, less than a quarter of Americans in student debt. You're going to have to pay that debt off with interest. And if you're not being good and paying off little by little, which is going to take you a long time, you're only paying your demise. So find ways to avoid debt of all costs. Get that high-paying job. And let me say something. If you already got debt, then it's obvious, like Paco said, you need to start taking your time and energy and getting to something that you go, it's going to pay big so you can start paying it more. Because the faster you pay off that debt, the better. I know of one lady that has a doctorate degree, and she's still paying student loan debt, and she's in her 50s. So like I said, if you're getting this education, you better understand why you're getting it, what's the purpose, and what's the end game. Because you should not be working for a good long time, especially if you got student loans. They will make you work until you retire. And even when you retire, you're still going to still work because that eats up everything. So keep that in mind. All information is for, for you and for you to make a decision. So I thank everybody for listening to tonight's broadcast. Be on the lookout for the next podcast coming soon. I probably might have another special guest on another topic. But like I said, this is Chaos Rain here. Follow me on Facebook, Eric Rain, and follow me on Twitter at Chaos Rain 7. Take care, people, and good night. I'd like to give a special shout out and thanks to Paco, aka Dr. Black, from to be a special guest on this special broadcast. Um, the links to follow Paco will be in the description. And like always, comment, subscribe, and like this video. You can now follow me on Facebook, Eric Rain. 
and follow me on Twitter at ChaosRain7. Thank you again for listening. Until next time, Lady Chaos Rain!